It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Great panel. Mike Elkins here. Alex Wilhelm. Carolina Milanese. We're going to talk about the Ethereum merge. It seems to have gone off without a hitch. Why that's good for the environment, but bad for EVGA. Adobe is spending a huge amount of money to acquire a contributor. And late breaking news. It looks like another hack. This time, Grand Theft Auto 6. It's all coming up next on Twitter. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech. Episode 893. Recorded Sunday, September 18th, 2022. She's a gorgie. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Noom. With their psychology first approach, Noom Weight empowers you to build more sustainable habits and behaviors. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash twit. And by Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. Get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash twit. And by Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastics by reinventing home essentials that are good for you and the planet. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order when you go to blueland.com slash twit. And by IT Pro TV. Are you looking to break into the world of IT? Get the introduction you need with IT Pro TV. Get 30% off when you sign up at itpro.tv slash twit and use the code twit30 at checkout. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show we cover the week's tech news, of which there is a stunning amount this week. So we will get right to it. Joining us, Carolina Milanese. She is uh, a uh, founder of a, uh, uh, I guess, uh, is it, it are you an, an analyst? Are you an, is it fair to call you an analyst? I am an analyst, yeah. yes. Yes, but also the founder of The Heart of Tech, which is more than analytical. I, I guess you could say that. Yes, there's, uh, the there's some social impact there. Yeah, yeah. The heart back into tech and uh, principal <laughs> at Creative Strategies and was at the Apple event last week where it was 113 degrees. We'll t- <laughs> talk about that in just a bit. Also with us, editor-in-chief TechCrunch Plus and good friend Alex Wilhelm, who is on his 20, you said 27th episode? Uh, I, I think this is number 28. So we're getting up towards 30, at which point I think I'll demand like some sort of like shirt or maybe a hat. That'd be fun. <laughs> Did we not send you the uh, Fez yet? I think 30, uh, you get the Fez. Oh, okay. So just a couple more. So in yeah. two months time, everybody, I'm yeah. going to have a Fez. Yeah. Watch out. Mike Elgin has the Fez, <laughs> which he <laughs> has worn in Fez, which is fascinating. Hello, Mike. And I was the only one wearing a Fez. <laughs> they all wear baseball hats in, in Fez. But, uh, <laughs> Mike is uh, today in Spain getting ready for his yes. gastronomic adventure in uh, Barcelona. That's right. Sitges, Tomorrow. The seaside, which That's is a right. beautiful town just out of Barcelona. Yes. Very nice. Yep. Great to have yeah. you. And, and I will be in Fez next week. In Morocco. 
Yes. Are you going to do the uh, Morocco uh, gastronomad next? Uh, the, the experience starts in about three weeks, but we'll be there uh, next weekend. Yeah. So this is like your busy season. I didn't. I didn't realize. Yeah, we're 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 trying to catch up from the COVID doldrums. It's hysterical because I was looking at pictures uh, from the Oaxaca experience, which we did, and I realized that's almost a year ago now. So we're going yeah. to have to get moving. That was here. October. Yeah, it was for Something Halloween. Like that last yeah, year. it was the day of the day. Yeah. So it was the end of the end of the month. That yeah. was really fun. Boy, it was Mike, that fun. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Mike, how how are you so trim given that your job is going around the world and eating delicious <laughs> things? The I secret is that the camera's only gets me from here up. I hate him. Ah, uh, that's okay. the secret of staying him. trim. I hate him. I don't know how he does it. It drives me crazy. I gained weight in Oaxaca. Like we were eating chocolate and coffee and tortillas, and oh my god, it's the best stuff yeah. ever. So good. Yeah. All right, I said there was news. We got to do it. I guess the first story. I thought we might be like doing wall to wall coverage of the Ethereum merge. Like, oh my god, Ethereum has crashed. It went so smoothly Thursday. Ethereum, which is the, I think now it's safe to say, while Bitcoin gets a lot of the attention, Ethereum is probably the biggest, uh, I don't know what its market cap it is, but the but the most popular of the Bitcoins, it's what most NFTs use, ETH, ETH, E-T-H. It moved from the very energy costly proof of work system on Thursday to the proof of stake system, saving, they say, 99% of the energy used and and i'm sure there's a big sigh from the from the world at this putting a lot of bitcoin miners <laughs> out of business uh i i alex is this part of your portfolio to cover crypto yeah yeah in fact i have um a dedicated crypto reporter on my team and so i've been tracking this pretty carefully and, and what kind of shocked me the most was the smoothness of it the Ethereum merge, the move from proof of work to proof of stake, which is a different way of kind of figuring out what transactions are legit and handing out newly issued tokens, um, it was pushed back and pushed back and delayed and delayed. It became almost a joke. Like, when will this ever happen? And then it finally did. And seemingly, you know, fingers crossed for everyone else out there without a hiccup. I was very impressed, actually. Uh, the bad news is all those guys who spent a lot of money on custom rigs with giant GPUs and ASICs, to do mining are now yes. finding it unprofitable. <laughs> so here's well, the I thing. I think that's uh, not a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a bad thing. Anybody who was doing that was simply ignoring the environmental costs, which was well-documented. They knew what they were doing. They were basically just, uh, I've heard statistics like the mining of Bitcoin generally was vastly more energy consuming than all the savings from solar energy combined in the world. So, so I, I'm not I'm not too torn up about the the fact that they that they sort of uh, lost it. Plus, as you pointed out, they had plenty of warning that this was coming. You want to hear a crazy stat? This is from Statista. The average energy consumption for for trans a single Bitcoin transaction was two thousand one hundred eighty eight kilowatt hours. 2188 kilowatt hours for one transaction which me which is this the the little bar to the right 148 kilowatt hours that's a hundred thousand visa transactions so bitcoin was basically unsustainable now bitcoin right. is still on proof of work it's still using all that energy but right. according to pc magazine 
uh, it's so expensive now to mine Bitcoin, nobody's doing it. It's just hard to find a place where energy is so cheap that you can do it profitably. Right. The Ethereum move is, is really uh, a point of leadership by Ethereum uh, where you know, it's getting a ton of press. And now that they, they're doing this, uh, the rest of the Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency communities will have to they'll have to respond to this because it's it, the, the, a world in which you can burn that kind of energy uh, for, for for Bitcoin mining transactions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I just think it's it's untenable. It's it's unacceptable. It's socially unacceptable, and and they're going to have to do uh, something about the about the massive energy consumption. And again, Ethereum here is pointing the way. So it's it's really a positive thing that they did that. It was that it a very succeeded. risky thing. Of course, there's Ethereum miners who were making money uh, with proof of work, who were upset. Uh, there was talk of a fork. Did the, did the fork happen, Alex? So I, there have been forks of Ethereum before. Um, but what's really interesting about the situation and what Mike's talking about, the pressure essentially from this successful merge to take the remaining chains that are on proof of work and move them over to proof of stake, is that it's not just a technology conversation. It's also almost a religious conflict because if you talk to some of these Bitcoin maxis or people that really put Bitcoin above all just because of how it functions, um, proof of work is a very important component to why they think that. And so the argument, and I'm not saying that I endorse this, but the argument is that now that Ethereum has moved to proof of stake, it's effectively more centralized. And you can argue that different ways. But the, the power of Bitcoin, such as it is described by its fans, is that, yes, it is hard to mine. Yes, it is very energy intensive, but it's so spread out around the world that it's essentially bulletproof. And there's some reasonableness to that, but I, I end up much closer to where Mike is, which is saying that, guys, can, can we not, if it's a possibility, burn all this energy for effectively no reason? There are, you could buy a Bitcoin miner rig that would uh, heat your house in uh, in uh, Scandinavia. <laughs> it was a little, literal, I mean, I'm not joking. It was a stove for your house that incidentally would also mine Bitcoin. It generated that much heat. And that's why it's not profitable. It's not economical because electricity is just, I mean, the, the people were really making money with Bitcoin mining were, you know, in China next to hydroelectric dams where the cost of energy was virtually zero. Uh so this PC Magazine says, you know, they've talked to a lot of miners. The merge killed it all off. All my stuff is idling now, said one miner. Uh, they look at other coins, Ergo, Ravencoin, that, that still are on proof of work. But they have so little value that mining them is unprofitable. Almost all the profit, I didn't realize this, had gone to uh, Ethereum. So this was a very important thing, very risky and... Uh, and it, and it worked. So amazing. Yeah. Well done. Well done. There's a tie, though, between climate change and what you just said, because if you look at Chinese weather in the last couple of months, there's been a historic drought in China, which has led to a decrease in the flow through um, dammable rivers. And in essence, that's led to a power crunch in parts of the country over the last couple of weeks and months. So all that cheap power that used to be used for mining Bitcoin before the Chinese government banned that uh, ended up kind of going away. <laughs> and so it's it's. There's there's a full circle of, uh, of of cause and effect here with humans trying to do things that I, I appreciated the irony of, even if it was quite sad to see an entire country go through such a staggering drought. Yeah. Well, we're going through it here in the West as well. Yeah. Um, so one of the side effects of this is a lot. Of, there are a lot of GPUs on eBay right now. <laughs> and and the price, the price of uh, GPUs is tumbling. 
it's 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 the world has changed. In fact, it's cost Nvidia substantially. Uh, another story, I think, somewhat related. One of uh, Nvidia's biggest uh, OEMs, EVGA. I think more than half of the uh, Nvidia video cards were sold by EVGA. Is is ending its relationship with EVGA, with uh, GeForce, with uh, with Nvidia. So they're going to sell them until they run out of stock, but they're not going to make any more. They make power supplies and other things. Apparently, there was a little, a little battle, <laughs> a little, a little bad blood between Nvidia and uh, and uh, EVGA. They were upset that Nvidia was undercutting their prices. Uh, they were upset that they're suddenly the the profit margin collapsed as the GPU market collapsed as Bitcoin mining uh, collapsed. And so they're just getting out of the business. Here's a here's the gross margin. Uh, the light blue is the people who make Nvidia cards based on the Nvidia platform and sell them. The blue one is Nvidia. <laughs> its margin went up while theirs went to almost nothing over the last twenty years. I'm in awe of this chart, Carolina. I, my presumption is that one doesn't have to be an analyst to be able to look at that chart and go, "I'm out of this business." <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, NVIDIA themselves hurting. Uh, their stock prices have uh, tumbled as well. They had an excess inventory of cards. They will next week have GTC, their big conference, and they're expected to announce the uh, uh, 4,000 line of uh, video cards. They've been using the RTX 3000 for the last couple of years. So, you know, but it's it's now it's mostly just, you know, gaming. NVIDIA does have a good business in right. self-driving vehicles and AI. I'm, I'm curious about this. So I, I need to buy a new gaming PC, which I know is always dicey territory on Twix. Everyone here knows more about PCs than I do. Um, but I, I didn't for a while because, you know, all the Ethereum kiddos were buying up all the graphics cards and I didn't want to get into that fight. Uh, is now a good time to build a new PC or should I still wait? I, I'm not sure where we are on chip shortages. Well, there are a lot of GPUs out there, <laughs> but I think yes. a lot of them have seen some heavy use. They've been road hard and put away wet, as as the saying goes. So I don't wouldn't go to eBay to get one, but it has certainly, uh, I think, tanked the prices. When the four thousand is announced next week, probably won't come out for a month or two. Uh, you probably see three thousand prices go down, and a good thirty eighty is going to get you a very. It's going to be good for a gaming rig. You have. So you're in your little see. I know more about you than you. That's <laughs> true. You're now in your little house out in the backyard. Yes, where I used to sun in my youth. Uh, and as I remember, there are quite a few little gaming things. Do you just sit out there and play games until somebody notices, and then you file copy? Oh man, I I if <laughs> that, yeah, that would be great. Um, <laughs> I, I hear That's about research, I hear about though. That's research, Alex. See, Carolina's on something there. No, but people always talk about how people have these jobs they don't do anything. I have never managed to find one of those jobs. And so no, I the, the you gaming rigs out here. You have to uh, I have to I mean I'm I'm leading a team, we're doing a big conference. Oh, all right. I'm in charge of uh a SaaS product, like I was it's, just giving it's you a hard time. I just, no, no, I'm I'm dreaming now, Leo. Like imagine waking up and like playing games and having fun and not stressing out about results and stuff. It sounds lovely. <laughs> uh, what game are you playing, or, or will be, will you be playing on this brand new gaming rig? Oh, I mean, 
this is a bit nerdy, but if you are if you're a gamer and you like city building simulations, there's a new game out called Farthest Frontier, Ooh. which has captured my my heart and my soul, my eyes and my hands. I'm obsessed with it. Uh, it's a, a survival builder, so it's like <gasps> it's designed to make it hard on oh, you. Oh, I'm playing it. Yeah, see, it's, I'm it's a Valheim guy, Steam. big Valheim ah. guy, and uh, I've been playing lately Satisfactory, which uh, is similar. It's Ooh. like it's a fun game. It's a no man's land. I just streamed a bunch on Twitch. Um, it's a no man's land kind of you're on a planet and you have to start mining, gathering and mining resources. This looks, this looks a little more like has kind of age of empire graphics. Yes, it does. And, uh, there's different difficulties. There's still combat? early. There is combat. You get attacked by large raiding parties. You have to build walls and hire soldiers. And it's very complex. It's definitely still an early access though. Just as a warning point, like the game is still being expanded, tweaked, this improved really and so great. forth. Yeah. Does it but actually Leo, look like this? Yes, it looks just like that. Um, satisfactory, though, that's the first person builder for yes. factories, right? Yeah. See, that threw me because I played Factorio, which is top down. This is like but, Factorio, but, but it's first person. Yeah. That's like saying it's like dry, racing a car, but you're facing backwards. Like, how does that work? <laughs> no. All right. <laughs> I'll just show you a little uh, video from yes. last night's uh, stream. Uh, All right. Apologize for the audio. I was trying to figure out. So. See, I, I am wielding manufacturing things. I'm setting up power lines. Uh-huh. I'm, I've, I've got a conveyor belt bringing in my mining, coming down from the hill there, building stuff, building more stuff. So, yeah, see, there's my, uh, that's my little, uh, uh, I don't know what that is. It's, uh, it's a, it's a smelter, a smelter. It's taking, it's see, the, the uh, copper's coming down on the conveyor belt and then the smelter, but I got to get power to the smelter. And then I have the. Okay. <laughs> it's a very fun game. I um, didn't know Leo that we were the exact same nerd, same nerd. in two different bodies. The same if nerd. you're not, if this isn't your style of game, we're sorry, but we yeah. love it. Instead of killing people, uh, we're, we're oh, but watch out because there's this little guy's going to get at me, and I have to. So there's a little bit of survival involved. I see, but uh, but not not a huge amount. I mean, you can handle this rodent pretty easily <laughs> it seems stuck is, 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 it, is it stuck he can't get up the wall i'm just taunting oh, okay. him i'm just taunting him right now because i died he killed me and and there's a box with all my stuff in it and i gotta get around him and get the box with my stuff anyway you know who this is not the show for that this is not this is <laughs> leo not alex and leo's gaming show i apologize to carolina and uh, mike neither of whom have time to waste on this guy i'm gonna play for this frontier that looks that's what it really it's, looks good. Just uh, came out. I'll, I'll refund you if you don't like it personally because I'm I'm obsessed. But anyways, um, the graphics cards, computers, I think we were somewhere around there. Oh, yeah. You should be able to play that pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get a 1080. You'll be fine. No, I play on a AMD uh, Ryzen uh, 7 with a 3080 uh, on a 55-inch LED. I don't need a real life. I've got a virtual life. I just go and I play <laughs> and I play. And that's it, you know. You know, Leo, I, I, I'm not uh, into video games at all. Uh, I've played them before, but I really don't play them these days. Don't but you I want to build about, a little town in the farthest actually, frontier? I heard about a genre of games that I didn't know existed, but I read about it in Wine Enthusiast, which is basically <laughs> virtual winery games. Have you heard of these? Oh, you, yeah. you have to you you set up the terroir and then you you plant your vines and you'd go through all this stuff all the struggles and tribulations of a winemaker sounds fascinating to me but this to me reminds so, me of like railroad simulator where you drive a train 
Right. Uh, Railroad Tycoon. Railroad Tycoon. Uh, there's yeah. farming simulators. I'm yeah. not shocked that there's a wine simulator. There's all there's a game that just came out in which you build your own university and deal with all the the hijinks that come up with like hiring professors and so forth. So Mike, gaming is now so broad and so niche that no one's not a gamer. They're just someone who hasn't found right. their game. This is right. a game, however, that I shall never play. Penn and Teller, as a joke, some years ago met a game called Desert Bus. And the whole premise of the game is you'd get in the bus and you'd drive. By the way, your driver is Alex. Hey. Hey, Alex. Why uh, haven't we crashed yet? No, no. This is the game. <laughs> this is this the is game. It? For hours. This is an eight-hour video on YouTube. This is the game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, it's night. Now it's night. Now it's night. Okay. So we just, you know, it's a little change of scenery. Uh, I don't even know if you have to steer, to be honest with you. It's just, <laughs> I, it was a parody, but it's kind of legendary now. Bus, Desert Bus. It was on uh, Sega. Uh, this is a playthrough, by the way, which means that it's an eight-hour video of that. And then you, I guess you arrive. I guess you arrive. Let me see at the very end. Do you, do you get to Los, Los Angeles? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on the audio stream, imagine the worst graphics you've seen in your entire life. No art and uh, annoying sound effects. Yeah, that's it. Look at that. Look at the mileage. The uh, mileage meters ticking over, though. We've gone seventy-one thousand hundred seventy-nine point three miles. Wow. Uh, it's seven seventeen at night, and the desert's pretty much an unchanging landscape. Eight hours in. I don't think it's going to be a bestseller. Penn and Teller's <laughs> Desert Bus. Mm. It's kind of legendary, to be honest with you. But it's not farthest frontier. This looks good. I'm glad you uh, mentioned this. All right. Where were we? GPUs. Uh, the yes. GTX 4000 next week from uh, NVIDIA. GTC. Uh, we will probably not cover that stream, but uh, I think it'll be something to watch. And it might be, uh, I think you're going to see a general drop in older video cards because of the 4000 and because of this ethereum merge so, is the loss of evga a big deal because yeah. i was on some some gaming subreddits and people were pretty cut up about this and to me as a as as one level nerd above knowing that i was a little perplexed by because i thought they were all nvidia cards and turns out i was wrong and no nvidia is of nvidia is a foundry so they design them and then they have a, a bunch of people who make the cards. EVGA's uh, revenue is 80% GeForce GPUs. Hmm. So it's huge because they're basically the, turning their back on their business. 80% wow. of their I business. I mean, the, 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 the press kind of played up the acrimony between the, these former partners. Mm -hmm. but, but the reality is that the, that the business is changing uh, in, in a bad way. So the, 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 part, the part that, uh, that uh, NVIDIA is uh, doing is great, as you can see from that chart. What that chart doesn't show you, it shows you the declining gross margins uh, for the manufacturer, exactly. but it doesn't show you the rapidly rising costs for design and right. manufacturing and all that stuff. So it's 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 really the, the 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 risk here is that the price in the future, where there's a lot now because of what we're talking about, but there's a, there's a risk in the future that the price of 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 these uh, of these cards is going to go through the roof because they're so complex now and so difficult to 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 design and manufacture that 
uh, it's, it's hard to believe that any company is really going to want to be in this business, right? Unless they're really getting, um, you know, much higher gross margins than, uh, than, than we see here. Um, it's, it's just, it's just not a great business anymore. NVIDIA, uh, the NVIDIA event is September 20th. Uh, they will announce the Loveless Architecture, which is probably aptly named. Uh, and, uh, you know, what they're trying, what they've been trying to do for the last two years is find a new market for their chips. So smart, uh, you know, cars, uh, self-driving vehicles use NVIDIA chips to a great degree. So does artificial intelligence, machine learning. So I guess it's really about a transition to some degree. Um, and they're not alone in this, right? Oh, Qualcomm no. is trying to do the same thing, um, you know, after dominating the smartphone market and now the smartphone market kind of flattening, they need to look at something else and, and driverless car is where they're going next. Uh, Intel is in much the same boat, right? Uh, yeah. They, 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 they kind of hit rock bottom uh, this week and uh, they're desperately trying to figure out what to do next. They've kind of split their business into foundry and fab they they're they've decided you know for a long time their prop their value proposition was we design and we build our own chips uh at that integration though some say ben thompson uh, has been quite vocal about this kept them from innovating at the speed that a company like tsmc which only builds mm. chips was able to innovate tsmc had all this revenue for companies like apple uh and they were able to take that revenue invent new processes uh, come up with some very sophisticated chip manufacturing stuff that Intel couldn't do, didn't do. They didn't have the revenue to do that. And so they lapped Intel. And Intel's, you know, Pat, under Pat Gelsinger, they're, they're a new, relatively new CEO, has decided, well, we're going to try two businesses. We want to be a foundry. In fact, he said, we, we could make Apple's chips. We want to make Apple's chips. They're, they're breaking ground on a, a giant fab now that the Chips Act passed, uh, the $52 billion uh, subsidy act from uh, Washington uh, passed a couple of weeks ago. Intel now is going ahead on its $20 billion factory because some of that will be federally subsidized in, uh, in Arizona. So it, it, we are in interesting times. That that comment drives me nuts because if they could build Apple's chip, why haven't they? Yeah. They seem to consume less well, power and kick I, maximum I, butt. I have to point out, Apple didn't say, oh, yeah, you can build our chips. No. <laughs> they said, well, you know, we're going to keep uh, – we're going to, they pretty much buy up as much of the production as TSMC can come up with. And it's to their credit. You know, Apple just released, and you were there, I know, um, uh, at the at the event in Cupertino a couple of uh, weeks ago, Carolina. They just announced mm -hmm. the new iPhone. Uh, as far, it's hard to tell because Apple doesn't give unit sales out or anything like that. Uh, and it is true, if you didn't order uh, on Friday of last week, uh, you may not have picked one up on the 16th, as I did. It's, you might be waiting until November at this point. I, don't, I haven't looked at the lead times. But I think Apple was able to make it, as many phones as they want, you think? Well, even even if you ordered on, for on Friday, as I did, um, for the, the 14 arrived, but the Pro is due on October 4th for wow. me. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, let me just, let me, let me pretend to buy another one and just see. Here's a Pro Max. Uh, I bought it in gold because that was the most available. Uh, sometimes you have to finagle. Apparently, this. black is the one. Everybody that, yeah, wants I black. thought it would be purple, but yeah. black is the one yeah. that is um, highest demand right now. Yeah. Let's see. I still have to check some boxes. No trade in. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to buy it outright. 
I'm going to choose any care. Oh, you've got to click a lot of boxes to find out when you're going to get this. No Apple Care. Finally, uh, October 25th. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow is right. So maybe they aren't able to get as many chips as they'd like out of TSMC. It also- uh, I don't know if it's, if it's supply versus demand. I think that uh, although I'm sure that Apple took this into account, that the dynamic island, uh, as much as I wish still um, that they gave it a different name, um, <laughs> is really getting a broader appeal than not just the camera. I think the Pro Max has always been the device that was either for people that really wanted everything and more from the camera and the larger size now now you have the 14 plus that would take care of people that just wanted you know a, a larger model but not necessarily all the bells and whistle and the price point that comes with it uh and the the, the dynamic island just gives a different vibe to the the whole phone um and i think has just broadened that appeal so i'm not surprised that the pro is you know into November for delivery. Yeah. If you combine the fact that early adopters tend to ask for higher devices and buy, you know, higher spec devices, that's what you have in pre-orders usually. Um, you know, people don't usually kind of rush into pre-order for the the entry level models. I should also point out that it may not be the TSMC A16 or A15 for the uh, A4, the Apple 14 and 14 Plus that are in short supply, but these legacy nodes, this is actually the bigger problem is these older, you know, chips, nobody's making them or they're making them slowly or there's a shortage. So it may just be the, like the accelerometer. Oh, we can't get the accelerometer chip. Uh, that may be the problem. That may be the shortage. Uh, I, I like the dynamic Island, by the way, Carolina, did you like, do you like it? I do too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even mind the name, although it's a little Gilligan's Islandy, but it sounds like a reality show. Yeah. I, I, um, (laughs) I, the other the other thing that uh, is a, is a sort of wild card for Apple and for lots of other companies that are trying to to uh, sell electronic products at massive scale like Apple does is China, which has become a very um, kind of unreliable place because of their zero zero COVID policy, which still exists. Right. So if somebody sneezes in a factory, they shut the whole thing down. They trap wow. everybody inside, and they they stay that way for three weeks or whatever. It's really yeah. a, a bad deal, and that's it, it's largely driven at this point by Xi Jinping and the upcoming uh, Communist Party conference where he's going to be installed as emperor for life or whatever. And he doesn't want any sort of COVID bad news, and so he's willing to jettison their economy to a certain extent to keep the COVID numbers down. Uh, the other place where the, this affects uh, manufacturing is that some of these lockdowns, some of these slowdowns are still happening in Chinese ports. So not only are electronics having to come out of Chinese ports, many of the components from elsewhere outside of China have to come into China so they can be put together with Chinese components by Chinese workers and then shipped out. So if there's slowdowns in the ports, if they lock down the ports because of COVID or whatever, um, it's it's not that it, it it's likely that it's not going to be that bad. But there's no way for Apple to know uh, exactly how uh, you know what's going to be shut down, what what what's going to be uh, go into lockdown. It's just unpredictable at this point. And that's uh, not good. And of course, Apple is as a result building plants in Vietnam and in India, Brazil. Uh, they're they're trying to expand out of China, but that's going to take a while before yeah, they can do that. That's it. Yeah, that's right. I Long should point time. out that you can get the low end iPhone 14 Tuesday, 
So <laughs> uh, I guess it's, you know, and I think it's always the case that the early sales are to dummies like me, the uh, enthusiasts who buy the higher end phones and the less expensive phones are uh, pretty much available. In fact, Sweet. You, could, you could get it tomorrow if you wanted to go down to the store. So, so I, I have a question, Leo, because I was watching you know, the Apple event as I always do and paying attention and I, I can buy a new phone if I want. And I have a purple 12, I think. I think it's a purple 12. Yeah. I don't know. I like it. Yeah. It's fine. It's not a, uh, it's not a pro. It's not a max. It's just oh, no, a 12. I'm, I, I'm cheap and take terrible photos. Like, I'm not the target demographic for this. But I, I'm just curious, like, <laughs> I, I how feel much so bang sorry are you for you with only a small camera bump when you could have a massive camera bump on your phone? I mean, I put my, my phone, I took it out of my case to, for that dramatic point because you I drop my know. phone all the time. You don't see. Uh, yeah, 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 I'm just, I'm just. Do you like it? Because to me, no, it, it, this feels it. more like and a I new hate Intel myself processors. for buying it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll speak, and I'll let Carolina, who is more expert on this, but I, I think this, you are fine with what you got, and okay. I think this has been the case for about three or four years with Apple, that we're, you know, we're really at a plateau. Okay, they had the dynamic island, but that's kind of like putting fins on a Cadillac. You know, it's 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 a it's 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 a aesthetic thing, but it doesn't add to the real functionality of the phone. It's got a faster processor. Face, I noticed Face ID is faster than on my iPhone. I went from a twelve as well. My mm. iPhone twelve. I notice maybe you know the camera in the hands of people really know what they're doing. You could take advantage of those forty-eight megapixel Pro raw photos and. Do something interesting. I've seen some really interesting things on the Halide site and stuff, but most people aren't going to notice any difference. I think it is a thousand dollar expenditure. Most people won't need to make, and because of you know economic woes, probably won't make. So, I expect Apple to have a, a little fewer sales. What do you think, Carolina? Do you think this will be a, a slow quarter for Apple, slower than usual? I, I don't think so for a couple of reasons. One, um, I agree with what you said as far as the enhancement. It, it, you know, for a lot of people, if you add the 13, you're fine, right? It is not really that you need to upgrade. Oh, certainly the 13, but let, yeah. Let's remember, though, that the phone is still uh, a very emotional purchase for a lot of consumers, right? It, it's part of your status it is a way to show that you have the latest and greatest. So there's that kind of visceral, you know, part of you that has nothing to do with that, whether or not you need it or if it's any better than what you had before. You just go through the motions. No, you're right. I think there is a lot of carrier support right now, um, not just for the latest model, but even last year. If they can get everybody onto 5G networks, they will. So you see a lot of promotions. And lastly, you know, very few people in the U.S. still buy a phone, um, you know, outright. They all have it on an installment plan. So upgrading your phone um, doesn't really see a, a huge, you know, payout as it used to, even when you have to buy and pay um, uh, tax on it and then, you know, do your installment pay payments. So for a lot of consumers, you're talking about adding 5 $6 maybe to what their payment for last year was, right, last year model. So I don't know that Apple would necessarily feel uh, the pain of, of of the recession because they already have the higher chunk of the market from a from a disposable income perspective type consumer, right? So uh, you know they never seem to suffer, and 
overall, the mobile market has always been pretty resilient because we are so dependent on phones. And so although you might see maybe a slowdown in replacements or a lengthening of the cycle of maybe two, three months, um, I, I don't think that the market will will suffer. It's an excellent there's point. A, that it's not an economic decision. It's an emotional decision. Uh, I mean, Apple is really good at chipping away at market share. A couple of weeks ago, they rose to about 50 percent for, for the first time. In the time, U.S., yeah. In the U.S. And so one of the things that I think uh, is driving that is other Apple devices become so compelling. The M1 uh, MacBook Pros were super compelling to the kind of people who switch around between, you know, a, a Microsoft device or Chromebook or whatever. Uh, people like me, I switched from a Chromebook to to a, a MacBook Pro because I just had to have it. It was so good. And so, you know, back in the old days, I used to switch back and forth between an Android phone and an iPhone. No more. The combination of the uh, uh, the degree to which I love my Apple Watch and the degree to which I need a, a MacBook now uh, means, I and, and I, I've always loved the iPad, I really, it, it doesn't make any sense for me to have anything other than an iPhone. And I think a lot of people are slowly making that decision. I was, um, you know, we, we were in Provence with, with, with some folks a couple of weeks ago, and I was just listening to the conversation. These are not super techie uh, folks for the most part, and they were talking about their phones. And, and about half had iPhones, about half had Android phones. But the Android phone users were all saying, yeah, my next phone, I'm just going to get an iPhone. And so I think there's 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 a lot of um, uh, sort of trading over from from Android to Apple that is just kind of a constant. They just are always growing their market share. And again, I think it's the I think it's the larger Apple environment that that drives that. You said something interesting, Carolina. I want to pursue. Uh, you said there's a lot of support from the carriers because they want to move people to 5G. Is that a marketing thing, or is there a technical reason they they want to get on the 5G networks? What is their incentive? Well, the 3G network is shutting down, so you still have some users that are have phones that are so old. Yeah, they sent my mom a new need. phone because she's on T-Mobile. She was on Sprint, and they were going to turn right. off that network, so they just sent her a phone. Yeah, and then there's a, there's just an efficiency from a network perspective that for the carriers, they just want to move, you know, as many people as possible on the 5G network um, just for efficiency re reasons. So um, the, you've seen even the the trade in numbers this year, 800 to to $1,000, although I'm not quite sure what you need to trade in to get that. You probably need to trade in a 2013 Pro Max to get that number because I traded in. Uh, 2002, so, uh, sorry, an iPhone 12 Pro Max, and I got $320. So nowhere near, you know, the eight and a thousand bucks. But they're, they're the most generous that yeah. we've seen so far. And I have to say, I was skeptical about 5G. Apple was promoting it like crazy two or three events. Well, now they are. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say, uh, I'm on T-Mobile. Uh, I have family members on Verizon. In both cases, that mid-band 5G is becoming more and more available. And it really is yeah. fast. It's 100 megabits, 150 megabits. It's as fast as you'd ever want. It's certainly as fast as your home network for a lot of people faster. Um, Mike, I, I want to follow uh, on what you said, though, because uh, you're traveling around the world. I, I believe it in the U.S. that people, you know, we're affluent, more affluent country. They're buying more iPhones. But that's not the case around the world, right? Android's still dominant around the world. 
Absolutely. And, and um, uh, there, 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 there's been a flurry of uh, analyst sort of charts showing uh, what percentage of your annual income you have to spend wow. to buy an iPhone. And in the U.S., it's like, you know, it's like 1.5 percent on average, something like that. In some countries, it's 50 percent. Uh, and even even some wealthy European countries, it's three, four, five percent. And so you really don't see the kind of uh, 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 uptick for iPhones abroad here in Spain. You see them, but they're, it's not like in the U.S. Um, you, you, they're kind of a relative rarity. And so, yeah, it's just it's purely it's purely a cost thing. They're pretty cheap in the U.S. I think the only other countries that are cheaper, like Luxembourg. Uh, as a percentage of income, right, and countries like that. So if you go all this the way, is a, this is an eye-opening statistic. And yeah, Luxembourg and Switzerland, U.S. is one point eight four percent of your annual income, but you go to Nigeria at the top, sixty nine point twelve percent. Of course, nobody's going to buy an iPhone fourteen. There's no way you would do that unless you're a very wealthy Nigerian. So it's it's really um, uh, you know the, the the global market really belongs to Android. Yeah. There's also a big uh, so, difference in markets outside the U.S. of the percentage of people that have a prepay contract versus a you know a monthly contract. So you know once you go to prepay, you don't have all the advantages of paying installments and you know discounts because they can't lock you in, uh, and that is obviously favoring more aggressive pricely priced uh, Android phones. There's also more variety outside of the U.S. I always get depressed whenever I go over to NWC in Barcelona and see all the other manufacturers. And, and I remember when I lived in the U.K., you know, there's much more variety of uh, brands and uh, and models and price points that there is in, in uh, the U.S. And that's always been the case. And that's the carriers also, because the carriers here really push certain brands absolutely they push the, the big flagship phones uh they make more money on them and i think you walk in the door at any carrier store you're probably going to be offered an iphone first yeah so i i was really curious by mike's comment about luxembourg so i just did a little bit of research um, <laughs> they so you know hey, hey, hey. Uh, no, i'm glad I'm you're gonna, doing the research that's good yeah I'm an, I'm an American. Most of my knowledge of Europe comes from Crusader Kings 3. So, you know, here we are. Uh, Luxembourg's population is 632,000. And here in the United States, we mock several states for being essentially blips. Rhode Island, Wyoming, etc. Um, but Rhode Island has way more population than the whole country of Luxembourg. So I'm going to walk around with my, my you know, back straight. And, yeah. yeah, there you go. Thank yeah. you. Uh, yeah, you may. Eighty percent of those are EU govern, you know, government people. Ah, <laughs> is that really who lives in Luxembourg? Interesting. It, it is. Okay. Yeah, is the bigger yeah. employer. It's, it's in, and their economy is really skews toward big dollar financial uh, yep. uh, uh, companies. Uh, but there, there, it's true. There are neighborhoods in Los Angeles that are bigger than Luxembourg. <laughs> um, uh, Shout out Luxembourg, though. I mean, like, you know, hey. joining. The, I, uh, can I get like six people on a goat and form my own country and join the EU? Because apparently the standards are low population wise. This should be a hack. Oh, <laughs> gonna, country. I am going to get emailed <laughs> from Luxembourgians now who are going to be pissed at you. <laughs> That's never, fine. Yeah. What language is it? It's French? a lovely country, though. I've never been to where is it? French? Is it French language? It's Lux French language. French yeah. language. To, yeah, I'm sure it's gorgeous. It's actually not of, a country. It's a duchy. So let's get that straight. 
<laughs> it's very Dutchy. <laughs> Surrounded by Belgium, France, and Germany. That's where the Ardennes forests, the rocky gorges of the Mullertal region, and the Moselle River Valley. Oh, it's near Brussels. That's why that's why it's EU. Yeah. 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 How did I mean, shout out Luxembourg. Luxembourg. The here, here Google's offering me this uh this people also ask, how did Luxembourg get so rich? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, the European Union apparently is pouring money in there via bureaucrats. Uh, so yeah, and a favorable tax regime. I'm moving to Luxembourg. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds nice. This sounds good. And cheap iPhones, too. And cheap, so there you well, go. no, the iPhones cost the same, but they're, no, they're a as a percentage of your income, they're cheap. All right, let's take a little break. Wow, I have learned so much in this show. This is fantastic. Carolina <laughs> Milanesi is here. She is an analyst and clearly knows of which she speaks. I want to ask you a little bit about the Apple event when we come back and, and the just the experience of being back in the Steve Jobs Theater. Alex Wilhelm, also here. He's editor-in-chief of the new Tech Crunch. Plus, which you launched, right? Uh, I joined six or eight months after it came oh, out. Okay. Um, okay. But I've been working on it since late 2019. Nice. Does the ghost of Mike Arrington haunt the halls there? You know, it's it's we've been bought and sold by so many megacorps, TechCrunch, <laughs> over the years that I, I think we've had to reinvent our soul several times. And I think it's gotten better over time. Who owns TechCrunch? Currently, we yeah. are part of Yahoo!, which uh -huh. is the former Verizon Media Group, yeah. which was formed out of the collision of <laughs> Yahoo and AOL back when it was called Oath under Verizon. And now we're owned by Apollo, oh, which is Apollo. a private equity group. Yes. Okay. So, so really, almost all the tech publications now are owned either by, by, tech, by a public equity, either Red Ventures or Apollo. Right. Yes. Yes. This is why Substack still will always, no matter how much they make me mad, will have a place in my heart for building an indie place yeah. for people to, to scribble. Yeah. Speaking of indies, we have our favorite scribbler, our gastro nomad, Mr. Mike Elgin, is here in Barcelona. Actually, Siche is just outside of Barcelona this week. Yep. On his way to Morocco, and you still write for uh, the tech press, but but you're a freelancer, yes. so you don't have to worry about right. the equity. <clears throat> Right. I, I've been uh, I've been uh, writing for some of the usual suspects. I've added a couple uh, new folks oh. and I also love Substack. So Substack has been very, very good to me. Uh, and uh, yeah, I have a lot of fun writing on that for the same reasons that Alex pointed out. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to be it's great to be a freelancer and have a diversified income streams and all that stuff. Yeah. I really, really enjoy. So that. you moved Mike's list to Substack when? Uh, two years ago. Wow. OK. Yeah. So and, and that was a, and it was a good move. Yes, very good. Nice. I mean, Mike's list is a, is a bad idea uh, in general <laughs> for newsletter because it, it's so hard, and the end result, most of it, is so frivolous. I write a I write a serious piece, and then I have a bunch of like funny stuff, and the funny stuff is so hard to do. It is totally not worth it. <laughs> but I mean, it's worth it because I personally enjoy it. But as a uh, you know. Uh, as a as a effort to impact ratio, it's it's a little off the charts, but I love it. That's hey, what we're Mike's glad you about. do it. Uh, I appreciate it. You you still do Mike's uh, nice list, right? Or Mike's nice photos? What is it called? The Mike's? It's called the nice book. Nice book. Um, yes, and I occasionally dip in there and add some fresh things. It's a replacement for Facebook. Uh, it's a nice Facebook. <laughs> what I what I try to do using Google Photos, and so. Um, yeah, it's 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 good. I, there, there's I've got a, a few hundred people who follow it 
uh, regularly and uh yeah it's it's pretty great it's this is all, the, all my personal photos and stuff this is the place to go to visit uh uh all the various places mike visits now yes so. and do you miss do you miss google photos at all i mean uh, facebook at all not at all. Um, yeah. I, 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 they, they actually, this is kind of an in- interesting thing. They, they actually blo- locked me out. So I was going to do the thing where once a year you go in and reactivate your account, then deactivate it just to keep yeah. ownership of it. They got tired of and that. They huh? just like locked me out. <laughs> said, and so we know, we're on to your game, Mike. <laughs> so now I'm just like, ah, forget it. I don't miss it. You know, I don't miss it. Although I was at a dinner last night where uh, four people, th- I was the only one not on Facebook. And they were all talking mm. about how fun it is. And I felt a little left out, I have to say. Yeah. Well, they're, they're one of my do favorite Reddit. Do they have uh, a special Reddit. Facebook? Pardon me? Do they have a special Facebook that is fun? No, I yeah. guess. Yeah, that was my, I should ask them. What do you mean fun? <laughs> what, there's what's a, your there's definition? There's a subreddit that's really funny. There's a subreddit that sort of mocks pseudoscience and, and, and like, you know, Outrageous claims, flat earthers, all this kind of stuff, and it's called Facebook Science. That's, <laughs> oh, that's the name of the subreddit. I'm following it right now. Uh, sounds like a good, a very good name. Let me do slash r slash Facebook Science. Oh, I can't find it. Oh, I forgot the last. I put the slash in the wrong spot. Uh, we're gonna take a little yeah, break. Ready? Come back with more with our fabulous panel. But first, a word from Noom. One of the people we were at dinner with last night, I didn't recognize. I hadn't seen him because of COVID. I saw him uh, maybe two years ago, and uh, and I he went on our cruise, and uh, and I messaged him. I said, "I thought you were going on the cruise. I don't see you." He said, "I'm right here." <laughs> he lost sixty pounds. He shaved his beard too, but he lost sixty pounds. And I said, "How did you do that?" He said, "Noom." To which Lisa, my wife, said, "I love Noom," and I said, "I love Noom too." Noom, our sponsor for this segment of uh, This Week in Tech, is a great way not to diet, but to understand why you eat, how you eat, and so that you can eat more healthily. When we decide to lose weight, it shouldn't just be about a number on the scale. It should be about learning to eat right. And Noom's psychology-first approach focuses on that. They empower you to build a more sustainable habit a relationship with food that that has lasting results to date and it really works it worked for me i lost 20 pounds lisa didn't have as much to lose but she's kept it off she's at the lowest weight she's been in 30 years noom weight has helped more than 3.6 million people lose weight but every one of us is different and that's what's so great about noom your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals The program is based on scientific principles, things like CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, which really is about helping you understand your relationship with food. Thanks to Noom, I realized that, you know, I ate pretty well when I was paying attention. It was the fog eating that was getting me. I wasn't, almost wasn't even aware of it. I'd come home and I'd stuff some food in my mouth because I was hungry or tired or tense or stressed. And it was that extra cal, those extra calories that were putting me over the top. Noom does not say you can or can't eat any particular foods. And I really liked that, too. In fact, early on in Noom, you know, you get with Noom, you get you get the app, you track your food, you have your lessons in there, the little readings, and you can set it to be as many minutes a day as you want, just a few minutes or I think it's no more than 15 minutes a day of reading. But you also get a counselor and you also get a group that you can cooperate, you know, work 
towards goals with and things like that. I told my counselor, uh, it was just in the first maybe couple of weeks of Noom, I feel terrible. I ate a hot dog. She said, what's wrong with that? No, no bad foods. Just, you know, keep, keep on doing it what you're doing. It's a non-restrictive food program that focuses on progress, not perfection. You choose what support you want from five-minute daily check-ins to personal coaching. Off days are totally okay. In fact, as I progressed through Noom, they started bonusing me. It was so great. They'd say, okay, you could do anything you want today. It's a bonus day. But the funny thing is, even though I had the freedom to eat all the junk I wanted, because I've been doing Noom, I kind of had this awareness of what I was eating, and I didn't go wild. It's kind of nice to know I could have if I want. Noom Weight helps you get back on track no matter what happens. 95% of customers say Noom Weight is a good long-term solution. Lisa's been on maintenance for a year, and it's really still working for her. She's she's still active. It's very interesting. She's I'm kind of impressed. They published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles to show users, other practitioners, scientists, the public about what they're doing and how it works and why it works. It has totally changed my relationship with food. I'm much more conscious when I eat. One of the things I learned from Noom, Lisa and I both do it, we put our phones away, we turn off the TV, we sit down, we chew, and we enjoy our food, we taste it. We Sometimes we close our eyes while we're eating it. It makes a huge difference. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom Weight's psychology-based approach. It worked for us. It worked for our friend. Sign up for your trial today, noom.com slash twit. Try it, really. Trust me. And doublem.com slash twit. Sign up for your trial today. Thank you, Noom, for all you've done for us. We really appreciate it. And thanks for supporting this week in tech. I'm pressing the join button on Facebook Science. <laughs> if I can't be on Facebook, at least I can be on Facebook Science, right? <laughs> right. At least have the worst part of Facebook. You mean the best part? Because out of context, it's comedy. In context, it's terrifying. Right. Right. They have 50,000 subscribers. Here we go. Uh, Look at this. Quarantine reduces pollution and proves flat earth. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, This is is great. This is all the stuff I've always wanted. I should share this on Facebook. Oh, I don't have an account. Oh, well. (laughs) Oh, well. So, uh, other big news. Little uh, guy, uh, his name is Dylan. Lived up the road a bit. Grew up in Sonoma County. Uh, he's 30 years old now. When he was about three, the family uh, bought him a computer. He really took to it. He loved it. Wasn't a great student. It wasn't until he uh, got in that you know, first robotics program in high school that he kind of really thought about technology. It was kind of, this is really cool. Um, he uh, went, you know, he couldn't get into Cal. He didn't have great grades in school. He did get into Brown University. I'm not sure how, but he got into Brown University. So he went there. You may remember a few years ago uh, a, a guy named Peter Thiel, <laughs> who had a little bit of money because Peter Thiel uh, was an early investor in Facebook. Do you remember this, Mike? You probably remember about 2012. Thiel put together a fund saying, if you drop out of college, I'll give you $100,000. Yes, and the uh, HBO Silicon Valley series mocked that as well. They had a they had a, a, a character in here there who was a v- VC who was like, no, don't go to college. It's a terrible idea. Yeah, that uh, was, uh, that was uh, ill-advised. So uh, Dylan took the money. He was in his junior year at Brown. And with a, a friend of his, also at Brown, they started a little company. Their first uh, idea was uh, drones to monitor traffic laws. <laughs> Flopped. 
So they thought, what should we? What else could we do? And they thought, well, you know, maybe there's not maybe there's not a business here. I don't know, but you know, we got we got a little money. Let's uh, let's design a web based graphics design program. They called it Figma, a design platform for teams who build products together. Didn't make a lot of money at first. Uh, they were in a, above a gas station, a small office. I'm sorry, above a bar, a small office. It got so noisy after 3 o'clock on Fridays, they had all had to go home because the bar was just too loud to get any work done. Uh, until a few years ago, he was you know, living in the Mission District in San Francisco, buying $1 cup of coffees on his way to work, working really hard. But it, things started to turn about four years ago. They were able to raise uh, money. Uh, enough money, in fact, to uh, value the company, I think, at about $100 million, which is good money, right? Um, then a few years after that, uh, it continued, to, I think, because of mostly because of uh, COVID. COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, uh, they had a valuation round that got them to, wow, $10 billion. Still, you know, a lot of times founders raise this money, but doesn't mean they're going to live a lavish lifestyle. But that was good. And that COVID really helped this little design company do very well. Adobe started to notice because this company started to take money out of Adobe's pockets. In fact, last year, $400 million in revenue. And you have to think that most of that money that went to Figma was money that Adobe didn't make on Photoshop and Illustrator uh, and InDesign. So Adobe started to think, well, we got to do something about this guy. This week, Adobe announced they're buying Dylan Field's company for $20 billion, one of the largest acquisitions, I think the largest acquisition of a, of a web company ever. He has 10%. He's got $2 billion, half of it in cash, half of it in Adobe stock. That's too bad about the Adobe stock part, but because uh, Adobe, <laughs> Adobe stock tanked as a result. But this is one of those stories where, you know what? This guy did all right. And, I, and I'm kind of happy. Now, it's not a done deal. They still have to get through regulator approval and all that. But It'll, it'll probably go through. And, and timing is everything because basically the reason I'm certain, I'm certain the reason that Adobe really wants this company is that right now with remote work, with digital nomads, many of whom are digital creators and designers, uh, and with the, the need to collaborate in the cloud like this, this um, offering uh, uh, enables, that's where it's at. And o- Adobe is, is nowhere in that space. And so Adobe is, is, uh, is still living, kind of living in the past of, of when everybody shows up to an office. And those days are over, essentially, for many, many creators. And so this is a golden uh, uh, idea. Just It's one of those ideas that's exactly the right idea at exactly the right time. And they are really, uh, you know, it's really paying off. Uh, for, for this guy, certainly better than drones to man- to monitor reckless driving. <laughs> I think that was a, a good, Absolutely. well, a good know, pivot. It's, it's funny that remember Bill Gates's first uh, startup was also trafo data. Trafo yeah. data, yeah. But uh, I think if he, there, if there had been drones, maybe it would have been drone related. So the traffic. market really didn't like this. I think uh, Adobe's stock went down something like seventeen yeah. percent. But um, in a way, I you know, look, I. I don't like the subscription model. I've found other programs to use in Photoshop and Lightroom. But Adobe had to do that. They had to move from the boxed software to subscription as much as people didn't like it. And I think as much as people don't like the idea of them buying Figma, it's probably an existential crisis for them. You think, Carolyn? 
Acquisitions think- is what Adobe does best. If you recall, yeah. Photoshop was an acquisition. That's true. I think what the market didn't like is the evaluation, not necessarily the purchase itself. $20 billion. Yeah. I think that, you know, as they waited, say, six months, as people settle into a more hybrid versus remote workplace, um, that evaluation could have been lower. I think that's what people are taking, um, you know, a negative uh, kind of take on on the deal versus whether or not uh, Adobe is doing the right thing. Because aside from what Mike was saying about, you know, hybrid work is here to stay, it is also true that we all are more creators than we were before, right? Content has become part of what you need to come up with, no matter what job you have as as a knowledge worker, right? Um, And I think that's the other trend that we see that uh, that I think Adobe is taking, um, you know, is looking at taking a chunk out uh, and not to have special skills. So you don't have to necessarily have people dedicated to, I don't know, coming up with social media designs for your ads or your post or, you know, coming up with infographic for a new report that you've done. You know, all of that is now part of, you know, a writer's job or especially for for smaller uh, companies where you don't necessarily have dedicated people doing that. It really is perfect timing. You couldn't, yep. you know, this is a company that benefited hugely from COVID. Yeah. Um, the, but do you think this that Adobe had to do this, Mike? Well, I, I do. I, I don't think Adobe has it in them to, to create something that would be just like this and do it quickly enough. Or I, I'm not even sure they could ever do it exactly like this. It's a pretty lean company. And it's a pretty, uh, you know, it's, it's got a lot, it gets a lot of uh, praise for its usability and its user interface and so on. Um, now, I, the, I, I suspect that the reason that the market isn't thrilled is that they don't trust Adobe to to own this company in the right way. They've, they're saying all the right things. They're saying we're going to keep, keep it completely separate. We're going to keep the team in place. We're not going to change anything. We're not going to change the pricing. We're not going to do any of that stuff. But Whenever a company acquires another company, they always say those sorts of things and they might stick uh, to it uh, for a year or two. In two years, um, uh, this guy uh, is going to probably leave and start another company. His contract will be up. And after a year or two or three years, the promises, the mindset that they had when they made the acquisition is all gone and they will use this. Uh, the, the people, the technology, the customers, and all that stuff in whatever way suits Adobe's interests and their shareholders and so on. So, you know, the, the fact that they're saying they're going to keep the pricing, okay, they may or may not. They probably won't. In a few years, they'll probably jack it up and make it expensive like every other Adobe product. Uh, the, they may move to Adobe-like uh, payment, uh, you know, subscription models and so on. But for the time being, it's it's I think it's a it's a good move for Adobe simply because this is where uh, this is where the world is. And it very well could be that this uh, product could become Adobe's flagship product in five years. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Um time will tell. Now the best case scenario is they they do a lot of integration so that Adobe uh, tools 
uh, work seamlessly within this uh, environment. And that would be great. But um, I think it's good for everyone involved. Uh, I think it's likely that the regulators will allow it to go through. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's kind of the, the only downside is a lot of the customers for Figma. One of the things they loved about it was that it was like that a, it was not a Adobe alternative. It was not Adobe. Adobe. Yeah, exactly. They, they were so almost certainly refugees from Adobe, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bummer for those people. Well, is that good for uh, and, Canva and uh, Sketch and the other companies in the same arena? I, mean, I guess. I mean, uh, probably. Uh, who knows? They, 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 the number of alternatives is, is sort of narrowing. Yeah. So. Um, and let me ask you, yeah. Alex, is it a good because you cover business? It's see, OK, so 20 billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, that's. A kind of a significant amount of money for a company that only has four and a half billion in revenue uh, last quarter. Uh, that's more than their annual revenue. Furthermore, uh, it's a lot more than Figma makes. Its uh, its ARR last year was four hundred million. As I said, uh, it takes a lot of four hundred millions to get to twenty billion. It absolutely does, but. I don't think you should think about that in those terms. I don't think revenue is the number you want to use in this case. And I, I say that as someone who's a huge fan of using revenue multiples to value companies. Yeah, don't you? Yeah, it, multiple of a beta. Uh, but that's this is a multiple. I can't remember. I saw the number like 50x. It's a huge. It's 50x ARR for yeah. the end of Adobe's fiscal um, year, which ends November 30th. But what matters here more is Adobe bet roughly 13, 14% of its market cap. On Figma, huge because it was worth like 170. It's being sold for, it's buying for 20. To me, that is actually a pretty reasonable chunk of the company to bet on something that could become the sort of threat that Mike's describing. And the thing that I that's been stressed to me by folks in the space is that it isn't like Figma was out to you know immediately cannibalize all of Adobe's revenues, but instead because it was designed to be worked on in a collaborative environment. It had a fundamentally different architecture than Adobe products, which are designed for single-person use. And so Adobe needed something uh, for the future and a defensive capacity. And critically, Figma is cash flow positive. So once you buy it, it doesn't continue to leach from your cash flow. And I think that uh, is a pretty important distinction. And it's growing at about 100% per year. So 100% per year growth, sure, it's expensive, but you're only betting 13 to 14% of the company. Um, I think it's a great move. I think investors are being morons. I love it. Um, I think defense, your point, Alex, it's about, defensive, right? I mean, go ahead, Caroline. No, I was just going to say the point that Alex just made about the back end and how that is organized for true collaboration, I think um, it is critical, right? Because that might actually well be the, you know, one of the reasons for Adobe acquisition because they can take then their products as well and use the same back end, presumably, or parts of it. Um, to deploy that for better collaboration, even on their products. Because this is the, when we talk hybrid work, everybody gets fixed on the, you know, you're in the office, you're at home. That's not really what it is. The, the hybrid work is how you work and how much more in the cloud our workflows are. And this is not going away, right? So for Adobe to get, to be part of that, to empower people to truly collaborate in this new environment, um, I think this seems like a, a very good shortcut. Yeah. The, the sad thing, though, Carolina, is that 
I, I think it's a smart deal from Adobe's perspective, right? Like to me, they had to pay a premium on the lost private valuation. We all expected it to go for a relatively high amount given the quality of the business itself, et cetera. Right. But I'm bummed that Figma didn't turn them down and try to kill them because the whole point of startups, like why I care about them, why I watch these little baby companies is because they potentially grow up to become incumbent killers. And in this case, Adobe used historically hoarded wealth, which is fine. It's corporation to essentially buy out the competition. And so we're not going to see Adobe get superseded. We're going to see Adobe more entrenched. And that just ah, makes me kind of Isn't that one reason Lena Khan and the FTC may stop this, uh, you know, they're looking at Facebook's acquisition of uh, Instagram, uh, same thing, to kill a rival. Uh, and they're wishing they could roll that back. They're wishing they had looked at it a little bit more closely when it happened for a billion. It was a billion. I remember we were aghast, aghast at $1 billion. Uh, so do you think this new regulatory um, attitude in Washington might stop this for that reason alone? Because it is about to put a competitor out of business? Yeah, the only thing I'll I'll say is here, and I know Mike has a strong opinion, and I want to get his take on on why he's so positive on on the deal going through. But the the reason why I would be in that direction is that no one talks about Adobe in in Washington. If you if you read uh, you know transcripts of congressional hearings and so forth, it's the big five American companies and TikTok. Yeah, and. Um, it, it, I, I don't recall Adobe coming up once. It's kind of a sideshow because it's not a platform in the operating system sense. It doesn't have a social network that politicians can grandstand against. And so it kind of sits to the side and does its thing. So m- maybe, maybe Lena Khan will uh, keep her fire focused somewhere else. And if she does, then it goes through. Um, I, I never thought I'd be you know, voting for an opinion here, but like, I hope she does block it because then Figma would have to kind of go its own way and make me happier. I'm sure Fig- Dylan... Figma was poised to do an IPO and declined because of the, you know, the bad uh, environment for tech IPOs. Oh, give, it, give it 12 months. It's fine. I, I only know Dylan a teeny little bit. I had, um, I had dinner sitting next to him at Sequoia once, I think, or maybe it was different venture capital from one of them and it was, it was ages ago and it was perfectly lovely but i just want to say one last thing before i hand off to, to mike to talk about the deal but like um i live very much near brown university and providence is claim <laughs> providence is claiming this one is ours so yeah, rarely good, does good. my town come up in the news yeah. press here we are and take that cal you, yeah. you turned him <laughs> down cal he was we should point out a brown university dropout however uh, oh close enough the- he showed up here for a bit he's had the coffee it's fine <laughs> Just as I'm a Yale dropout, and I don't think New Haven's welcoming me back with open arms. But anyway, uh, the people who are really celebrating on Sand Hill Road, Index Ventures, Greylock Partners, and KP, those are the big VCs. I'm sure Peter Thiel still has a pretty big stake. They will all have a giant uh, payday. And, of course, Dylan himself now in the three-comma club. Um, so, right. Mike, you have an opinion about this? I just I want to uh, to to uh, support what Alex said, which is that basically antitrust, big, big antitrust action, you know, big moves like blocking an acquisition like this has become political. And and I don't think Washington um, has the understanding to to basically is kind of arbitrary to a certain extent what they block and they tend to go out for the big the big name uh social networks and and the big tech giants and and they don't they barely know who adobe is they 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 don't really care that much there's no constituents uh, uh, demanding that they you know stop their steamrolling of the industry nobody really cares about this and so i think it's just going to go through 
simply because they want to pick their battles and the battles that they want to have yeah. are with, you know, Apple, Google, right. et cetera. They Amazon. Bigger, bigger fish to fry. Uh, right. It was only, uh, you know, nine months ago that Dylan Field, the new newly minted billionaire, tweeted, our goal is to be Figma, not Adobe. Uh you know, and and that that is such an uh, that is such a soft statement to uh, uh, to say against a competitor. He probably had in the back of his mind at all times that this could be a, a, a significant possibility, and so you know, even even after the acquisition, in, even during the announcement, both they and Adobe are saying they're we're going to keep their in, independent cultures. They're essentially saying exactly what that tweet said. Yeah, and so. It, it was really, you know, the press is 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 making that tweet sound like it's a, a, a you know, a, a, a shot over Adobe's bow in the past. It's nothing of the kind. No. It's a very, very anodyne, harmless thing to say. There's yeah. also, I've also heard it said that you don't want the uh, government to block this one because, uh, and I'm sure this is a venture capitalist who said this, you really want to have people have that opportunity for the big exit because that gets more people to do startups. You think that's fair? I, I think that's baloney and annoying. Go public, make your own exit. Okay, and, I uh, like it. I agree. You, you don't have to sell to an aging giant that barely pulled off a SaaS transition to have the Silicon Valley model work. In fact, that's not how the majority of the wealth was made in Silicon Valley. It was made via IPOs of companies that ended up becoming new giants, not selling out um, for a smaller dollar amount than you could in uh, another two or four years. No, not that I blame Dylan for collecting the bag, to be clear. Like, shout out. If someone offered me $20 billion, I would sell my kidneys. It's pretty hard. Both of them. Yeah, it's pretty hard to turn that down, even if you think, well, I might right. make more Next year, I don't. That's hard to say no to, and okay, I'm sure right. or Greylock and KP uh, are <laughs> kind of uh, Dylan. <laughs> we'll be very yeah. happy uh, if you uh, would accept that, right? But this is what this is what Silicon Valley has become. Much more short term. They all want the next thing, uh, and they don't have a lot of patience for the current thing. And this is true of Dylan. He's going to, yep. you know, like I said, in a couple of years, he's going to two three years. He's going to have another startup that he wants to be a hot startup and then and of course all the venture money wants to just turn that around this is a big big payoff for them bigger than they probably expected and they want to take that money and invest in the next you know such thing and they want to accelerate 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 and so this is kind of you know the the, the days in which you know a bunch of engineers uh leave fairchild semiconductor and found intel uh, you know that 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 world is, is, has been transformed into a much uh, faster, uh, much shorter term thinking kind of a, a culture. At the same time, because of that culture, because it's kind of toxic, there are lots of new entrepreneurs who are trying to avoid VC and are trying to bootstrap their operations, make revenue right away. This is was almost one of them because they were they're actually not. You know, they're, they're not like, uh, you know, uh, Uber or something like that, just burning cash. They were actually uh, making money. But a lot of companies are trying to do that without the VC pressure. So the VCs are pushing for this sort of exit. And somebody like Dylan is probably pushing for this kind of F exit. It's a bummer for all the legions of fans of this of this platform and also the, the the employees of this company who are kind of missionaries, you know, they're like they're, they're, they're really they've really been on a mission to 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 change how how uh, digital collaborative work happens. And so it's kind of a bummer with them to a certain extent, but this is how Silicon Valley works. I mean, this is the best case now uh, scenario for Silicon Valley. This is, this is Silicon Valley working the way most people 
uh, who were serious players in Silicon Valley wanted to work. Well, Figma was a huge success in terms of market share. They had 77% market penetration for product yeah. design tools. Uh, and that's got to be what scared Adobe. Adobe had a competing product, Adobe XD, which really yeah. hadn't, hadn't you know, gained the same kind of traction. It must have scared them that, uh, you know, they could get their lunch eaten. I, you know, and I know a lot of designers who are very unsettled by this, who love Figma, hate Adobe, and mm -hmm. are not happy about it. It uh, was a very Facebook-like acquisition where they had a, 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 a really hot competitor uh, upstart yeah. who they tried to compete against, failed, and so they just bought them. And and that's this is what this is what you know th this is the Facebook playbook. They copy the rival, and then when that doesn't work, they buy them. Hunter Walk, who's a smart uh, seed capital capital of VC, uh, pointed out that when uh, Cruz got snip, snapped up by GM six years ago, people said a billion plus. Uh, wow! But the answer was the same as with this acquisition. If autonomy is the potential future of your auto industry, you're not strong in that area. What percent of your market cap is it worth to to acquire what could be the thing that's going to put the nail in your coffin, right? Yeah. For for GM, it was two point five percent of their market cap. Uh, it's even bigger for Adobe, but it, it's I I think it is an existential crisis for Adobe. Uh, yeah. Can, can I just weigh in here uh, quickly? Hunter Walk is a is a friend of mine and a, a really lovely human, so it's fun to see him kind of crop up on Twitter. Rare rare is the time in which that part of my work life kind of ends up on the show. Um, but I, I want to say one thing about the acquisition and how it's been structured. And I just double checked this. According to um, Adobe, Dylan's going to say the CEO of Figma, but he's going to report to uh, David um, Wadhwani, who is the president of Adobe's digital media business. He's not reporting to the CEO. To the CEO. Is that, what's up? Yeah, yeah, I said the same. He's not reporting to the CEO. So what does that mean? It, well, it means he's playing for the JV team. I mean, like he's down an entire layer of management, which is no freaking joke at a big company. Carolina can back me up here or not. But like when I read that, I was just perplexed. Like, why do you spend this much of your market cap and then put it underneath a lieutenant? Why well, doesn't it report to the actual boss? I think it could Especially be. Especially if you're saying that they're going to stay independent and basically you want them to continue to operate the way that they have been. Right. That's you can clear, only do that if you got the CEO backing, backing yeah, you. That's a clear signal they're not, that they're going to put Dylan up on the roof having lunch with the other guys, and they're going <laughs> to suck Figma into the creative cloud, and uh, that's that, you know? And Dylan, I hope you enjoy your three-year handcuffs, and then the problem is, you know, I'm sure Dylan, he's 30 years old, he's a young guy, thinks, oh, I could do it again. The the case of people actually doing that is the numbers of the I think it's pretty low, right? It's, it's their yeah. timing is so impeccable. You came up with the yeah. right idea at the exact right time. It was it couldn't have worked better. The chance of that happening that's like lightning in a bottle, right or no? Well, it, 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 you're right. You're right that it's it's rare to have another mega hit. But he also has the leisure to pursue his passions yeah. and remain a billionaire. Yeah, he might want to so, sail, you know, go back to the drone thing, America's cup yachts or yeah, build, build, <laughs> yeah. build drones. And yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, I it's mean, big in China. You know, Why not? <laughs> if you look at the money that the WeWork CEO is getting. After look at Adam Newman. Uh -huh. Yes. That's stunning. Yep. So here's a guy. 
I mean, all I know about WeWork, I learned from the HBO or the uh, Apple TV series. We <laughs> crashed. So correct me if I'm wrong on this. But, he, but here's a guy who was a very good talker who basically had a real estate, a commercial, you know, a, a rental business that he convinced people was a tech company, got massive uh, buy-in from Sunson at SoftBank, f who very, f really foolishly almost, I mean, trashed his company by buying in, giving Adam Newman so much money. Eventually, the guy was such a train wreck, they had to fire him, but he negotiated, a, I think, a billion-dollar walk-away fee. Then, a couple of years later, after smoking a few more joints... He uh, he started buying up uh, commercial real estate and uh, no rental, not even commercial rental properties in Florida. He just raised three hundred fifty million dollars from Mark Andreessen to do uh, rental to do to the do the we work of apartments, I guess. I, I just want to say that that was fine, Leo. Talk about but failing I up. I take exception with the smoking more joints thing as a dismissive. We're talking about Silicon Valley. Okay. Like, I think if that's going to be a preclusion for success, everyone's fired. And at least he stayed married to Anne Hathaway. So you got to admire that, right? That, <laughs> that, takes some, that takes some work. Uh, I don't know. Oh, because of the show. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I was, yes. yeah, yeah. Rebecca is his yeah. real wife. Anne Hathaway was. Yeah. The oh, yeah. I was like, that's not the case. That's wrong. And I, I realized, but I'm okay, telling sorry. you, when they do the story of Twit, I want Jared Leto to play me. It might be a fat suit. That's OK. He's done that before. But uh, Jared did a very nice job. Was was you, we crashed you, anything like the actuals? I feel like it was pretty accurate from what I remember. It was it was a biopic version of of reality. I mean, I, I think they they I think it was actually a fairly sympathetic portrayal. And um, oh, really? You thought that was more sympathetic than he deserved? Uh, well, yes, I do. I think it was more sympathetic than uh, than 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 most people would 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 give them. Only <laughs> to the extent that son son Masayoshi son would wouldn't have been so kind. <laughs> Right. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the worst part about the Andreessen deal to me is not that they're trusting uh, this barefoot uh, supernova, as it were. They, it's that <laughs> the idea, I think, is is uh, it doesn't make any sense. If you recall from the from the movie, uh, his first idea when he was in entrepreneur college or whatever that was, uh, was to have a housing sort right. of you know, sort of collective housing. And everybody sort of laughing thing. On stage. Yeah. 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 It's kind of a evolved version of that. And I think it's, it's the kind, it, the thing that makes me nervous, it, it's the kind of thing that Silicon Valley people who live and breathe Silicon Valley, people like uh, Mark Andreessen uh, would think is a great idea. You know, adults want to live in this uh, sort of the community uh, scenario. Yeah. And I don't think they do. Right. I don't think adults do want to live no. in a community. It's they a, used to have boarding houses. Remember? Yeah. In the, 20s and 30s and stuff like that we're over that you know people want their own autonomy they want to choose if they have roommates they want to choose them and not have a company choose them for for them i just think it's a terrible idea and i don't think it scales now the 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 the, the, the problem is that he took all that we work money and he he owns the property so so to, to a certain extent he's going to this like ray Kroc. he has this huge advantage because he personally owns the real estate right the problem is possible with the financial issue with WeWork is he had long-term leases uh, on these on these commercial uh, properties, these office properties, but he did not have long-term commitments from his tenants. And as soon as you know COVID hit, all of a sudden he's still got to pay the lease, and he's got no revenue. I mean, it was a terrible right. business model. Uh, maybe yeah. he learned, oh, I should own it instead. I'm not convinced it's a 
And I, you know, co-housing, which is what you were talking about, uh, was huge uh, for, I know people who did it in uh, Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. The idea yeah. that, you know, it's like kind of like a commune, but you have your own house. And this is really what people want because this is how we lived in tribal society. And What? Yeah, well, I feel like I understand kind of the... But the thing is, in practice, same problem with communes. Mike and I have been around long enough to remember communes. Yes. It was, it was a good idea in principle. <laughs> but then, but they the, all fell apart. They all fell because they had other people. Yeah. Right. Hell so, is it, other I, people. Did, did, did uh, Adam Newman reinvent the HOA? A famously lovely system <laughs> in which no oh, one's a jerk. Oh, God, the HOA. Right. The ha- yeah. this is hard, the, hard pass. Yeah, this is yeah, this is uh, the condo association. And, yeah, it was really hard when we were looking for a place here in Georgia actually to get away from from that because there are so many yeah. communities that um, you know where the grass has to be a certain height and. That's very you know that's very uh, bucks uh, that's very uh, Atlanta. Uh, in fact, I remember, you know, driving through these suburbs of Atlanta and it's perfectly groomed. Yep. Right. It's just, uh, it, 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 it's uh, really interesting. And yeah. And I guess that makes sense. It's all, it's all HOA agreements. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People, people are famously jerkish in these HOA communities. <laughs> like you read these horror stories yeah. and people still move into them. I, I'm with Carolina. I, I refuse to let someone else tell me how tall my grass can be. I, I'm not allowed to swear on Twitter, so I'm not going to. But like imagine a string of profanity about how I'd rather burn my house down than listen to Billy Bob tell me what color it can be. <laughs> like also, <laughs> whose life is so freaking flipping fracking small that they spend their time going around to other people's homes to tell them what to do with it like do you literally have no personality hobby friends family or connections please right do the human just go away carolina did you did you end up in buckhead or did you uh keep going we're in marietta ah that's a little nicer a little more real probably yeah 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 uh, I always felt like Buckhead. I was a giant Nordstrom. Like the whole, the whole, t- <laughs> the whole town was just Nordstrom. It was very, very Stepford wife. All right, let's take a little break. We'll come back with more. Great panel, Mike Elgin. So nice to see you. I wish I were in Barcelona with you or Fez next week. I'm so jealous. Uh, where are your Fez and Fez? You'll be the only one. I will. Yeah. I w- and they, they'll all look at me and go, <laughs> what are you doing? I remember those. Carolina Milanese, <laughs> who is our favorite Italian. Great to have you from the heart of tech and creative strategies. Do you, do you go back to Italy? On, I think you do, don't you, on a regular basis? Uh, not thanks to COVID, but I was there in the summer. Um, I took my kid to Paris and then we went oh, to see nice. my mom, who I had nice. not seen since the beginning of COVID. And of course, as soon as I got to my mom's house, I tested positive. So oh, no. I spent my week in Italy oh. in my old kid bedroom. I'm so and, sorry. Um, yes, that's okay. Oh. <laughs> we were talking last night about the place to uh, run... For climate change, my my sister's been saying my my sister's been trying. Apparently, if you can prove Italian ancestry, you mm-hmm. you can get uh, uh, grandfathered into an Italian citizenship. And my sister and and the people we were with were thinking about maybe we should do that, pursue our Italian ancestry. And the place to go, my sister insists, be, for climate change is the Lake District because you've got the Alps, you've got the lakes, the climate is perfect, and you don't have to worry about sea change. <laughs> so I think my sister's headed there. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's 
very pretty, very pretty. We're Genovese, so uh, you're. Are you, Milan, are you Milanese? I am, yeah. um, or at least part of a family is. But um, yeah, you know what they say about Genovese. Oh no! What did they, uh, uh, should I ask? What you're, you're like the Italian version version of a Scottish who's oh, very yes. tight very with cheap. money. I agree with that. <laughs> We're very tight with money. My, grand, my great grandmother had a had a villa in Genoa, which she nice. kept to herself. <laughs> we never got to see it. Uh, Alex Wilhelm is here. He's living in my old villa in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. EIC of TechCrunch. Plus, it was so nice. Alex and Liza hosted me and gave me a tour of the old stomping grounds. And it was uh, just an amazing remembrance of lost things past. I just I just want to add that if you're, if you're not watching the Lord of the Rings uh, show on Amazon Prime, whatever it's called, Rings of Power or whatever, yeah. the, the dwarves appear to be Scottish. The dwarves the are Scottish. Right. Yes, and the, the little hobbits are Irish. and it, like, So they have these accents that like I'm trying to like not... It's very strange. Very, it, it's it's hilarious if you like Scottish humor, which I'm a big fan. So, um, but yeah, languages are fun. Yeah. Uh, do you like that show? I'm. I've decided just to enjoy it. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's what I've I should read- do: is sit back and not. I just. I, I'm. I'm really liking the House of the Dragon a lot better. The the Game yeah, of Thrones I- prequel. I'm behind on that, but I, I will say I was such a dweeb for the first Lord of the Rings movies that I was showing up at like midnight showings, and I owned the DVDs with all the back, you know, how they yeah, made see, them. I would I think read you'd the hate this, you know. No, it's fun. It's fun though when uh, when she when he says my brother's name is Isildur, you go ooh <laughs> ooh <laughs> ooh. He's I gonna, know who I know what's coming. It's gonna be interesting. <laughs> Cast it into the fire, Silver. No, like I mean, yeah. So, so to me, it's it's uh, it's lightweight. It's fun. It was way too expensive. You can tell they put a lot of money into the wrong things. But hey, you know what? It's Amazon's money. It's not mine. I don't care. Yeah. I just want to be entertained. Half, I just want some more of the race. Half a billion dollars of Amazon's money. Yeah, Carolina's right. I think we've all actually funded the production of that show <laughs> with our purchases. But you know, it's kind of Amazon's money, and I, it, it's fun. You know, why not? I am. I have to quote Marcel Proust when I went back to visit the old house, the old manse. He says, "I felt myself reliving a past which was no longer anything more than the history of another person." Oh, dude, oh. that's sad. But it was, you know. Well, I thought I would get this, you know, frisson of uh, flooding memories, flooding back, and uh, and I and I did. But it's your house now. It's your place. You're starting a new life there, and I think it's actually kind of cool. And, uh, I'm not big on nostalgia, so I, that yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah, like especially with physical things. But yeah. I, I'm nostalgic for my San Francisco apartment, which was never much more than a couple of square feet. And I was there for eight years, and I, I still have an enormous amount of affection for it, even though it was kind of a piece of crap. So <laughs> houses seem a little bit different. To I me. miss my I, I miss my North Beach apartment that had a bridge view. I uh, and it was tiny. It was a studio, but yeah, yeah, I do miss those days. Uh, that, there's something yeah. about living in the city. I don't think it's like that anymore. I don't know. Mike Elgin, who is living in every city around the world, Alex Wilhelm, Carolina Milanesi. We will be back with more in just a little bit. Our show today brought to you by uh, Mint Mobile. I <laughs> have you seen the, the TV ads that he does for Mint Mobile? They're so good. I just love it. They do wireless 
Right. They save you money. And I mean, I have to say, when I first heard about Mint Mobile and it was $15 a month for premium wireless service, I said, that, no, come on. There's there's an upsell somewhere. There's there's secret fees or something. I thought, what's the catch? But you know what? I've been using their service now for, I'm almost on my second year of Mint Mobile. And the, because their secret sauce is the first company to sell wireless service online only, they're cheap. They're like the Scots and the Genovese. They, they're cheap. They cut out the cost of retail stores. They pass along those sweet savings uh, directly to you. And I am so happy. I was able to get an iPhone SE from them for 15 bucks a month. Wireless service for 15 bucks a month. 30 bucks a month. Unbelievable. And you get a phone. That's great. So you can bring your own phone if you want. They're going to give you the best rate whether you're buying for a single person or a family. In fact, at Mint, family lines start at two lines, and it doesn't actually have to be your family. It could just be your friends, your roommates, your college sweetheart. All plans come with unlimited talk and text on the nation's largest 5G network. I'll tell you now, it's it's T-Mobile. So if you get great T-Mobile service where you are, and you probably do because they're really doing a great job, get it for less. Unlimited talk and text, high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Look at your bill. Find out how much data you use every month. Then don't pay extra. Buy just the data you need. You get four gigs a month for 15 bucks. That's a lot. They do have unlimited plans. Uh, you can bring your own phone. You keep your phone number if you want. Port it over. Premium wireless service starts at 15 bucks a month. And for most people, that's all you'll ever pay. That's an amazing deal. And if you want more, you can get more. See, there it is. Four gigs for 15, 10 gigs for 20, 15 gigs for 25. I think that's the one I got. Unlimited for 30 bucks. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, again, just look at your bill, figure out what you need. Don't pay for more wireless than you need. Get the plan shipped to your door for free. Mintmobile.com slash twit. Check out the family plan. That's a great deal. Mintmobile.com slash twit. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Uh, at mintmobile.com slash twit. They do support eSIM. That's, that is important. You're right, absolutely right. They do support eSIM. So if you got yourself one of the new iPhones that knows has no SIM tray, no problem. Uh, in fact, that was... Uh, thank you, Mint Mobile, for your support, by the way. And everybody, you support us by going to mintmobile.com slash twit. That was, Carolina, one of the things that Apple, kind of like the Courage port, taking the uh, headphone port out of the iPhone, <laughs> taking the SIM tray out, I think a few people went, ay 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 ay. It it well, the carriers I'm sure I'm sure they went no 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 for many many years um because they don't like it obviously. Um they prefer when people can switch easily from one carrier to another. Do they? Cuz if uh, I were T-Mobile, I you know or or Verizon, I wouldn't want them to you know, oh, yeah, I don't like you. I'm going to switch to AT&T with one push of the button. That would be scary. Right. They, they would prefer... When oh, they want the SIM the, cards. I see. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. want the SIM, yeah. 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 From a security perspective, from a consumer point of view, much obviously, yeah. it's much better, but it's also freeing up some space within the phone that is being used for uh, a bigger battery uh, or could be used for other things going forward. You know, I, I know that there are some people that are concerned about traveling. And so, you know, if you, like Mike, is in Spain, what if you wanted to just go yeah. and get a, a SIM? Well, you can't just go and get a SIM, but you can activate 
up to eight eSIMs on uh, on your phone, I think is up to two at the same time. So there are there are ways, and I think that eSIM is the the way forward. Apple always has this strength of you know from a negotiation perspective to really twist um, the the carriers' arms and and let them do what others uh, have been trying to do because. You know, eSIMs have been around for a long time, and especially in, in other markets, um, and multiple SIMs as well. But you know, for for the US is is one of the things that consumers don't necessarily think about too too much. But you in markets get, like Europe, you can get eight different virtual SIMs in the iPhone. I'm told, and any two yep. can be active at once. Correct. That I mean, as it's long as the travel, that's amazing. Yeah, if. The countries you're going to support ESIM. What are you doing, Mike? Are you? Is that going to? Well, I'm be still on Google Fi, but 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 Amira is is going to be embracing the ESIM thing, and you know there's various services. I've got the name of the leading ESIM SIM company, but you basically uh, these ESIM companies are about to have a really uh, golden um, era because. Now you just go to the website, you find the country, here are all the options, here's the prices. It can be prepaid, it can be whatever, and you just download it. And it's fantastic. I mean, the, the, if you think about the user experience from fumbling around with a SIM card, you know, some of us who are technical enthusiasts and so on, you know, it's, it's you know, we have the little pin thing, you push it in and then it yeah. slides out. Of, and then, you know, you have to know which is it, is it this way or that way? Normally, you know. we would be having our traditional iPhone party yes. this week yeah. where I bring the poker. And everybody brings yes. their iPhone, and I poked it out right. of mine and pass it down and pass it down and pass it down and pass it down. And uh, we don't have to do that this time. I, but look, so, look at the experience you had upgrading. It was so easy. So uh, yeah. the way I got this phone, the only way I could get a phone day and date was to go pick it up at the iPhone store down in Marin. So I went down to Court of Madeira. And I was a little nervous because, uh, you know, they give you a QR code for your appointment. You have to be there between 3.30 and 3.45 in my case. So I show up, I show the guy my QR code, and he says, get in line. I thought, oh, God, there's all these people ahead of me. I timed it. It was eight minutes. When I bought the first iPhone, it was more than eight hours in line. So eight minutes, not so bad. But here's the amazing thing. Uh, it, I, it said, okay, uh, see your old phone. Do you want to transfer the T-Mobile account from your old phone to the new phone? Yep. I said, yeah. I said, okay, you're good. Your phone calls will now start ringing on your iPhone 14. It was that easy. At the Apple store, That's they impressive. said, yeah, at the Apple store, they said, well, would you it, like us to it, help you yeah, do this? Yeah, it was very impressive. <laughs> yeah, it was so easy. Uh, and I hope it's that easy if I say, ah, I'm going to move this over to T-Mobile or, or yeah. I mean, uh, Mint Mobile. I hope it's equally easy to do that. Yeah. You know? But that's clearly the future, and that clearly oh, yeah. makes way more sense than having, uh, you know, uh, uh, end users, uh, you know, swapping out. For, 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 one, for one thing, you think about who is not really in a position to do that. Uh, people, yeah, from know, people an accessibility perspective. Older people, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just a big problem that is, that, that's very difficult to deal with. This is a situation where in the future you can just say, uh, you know, you, like, as, as with your case, would you like all this stuff? Yes, I would. And then now you have everything that your old phone used to do, including the carrier, is now on your new phone. That's the way it's going to be. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Yeah.
Uh, and let's remember that carriers ship you out um, SIM cards every now and then because they're not capable enough, right? right? They don't have enough memory. And so every now and then you need to upgrade your SIM. They make you pay usually $10 right. for the pleasure of you continue to pay their bills. Um, so, it, you know, it wasn't really efficient. I, uh, both Verizon and T-Mobile said you you're going to need a new SIM, this is a year or two ago, to use our 5G networks. I thought, really? So there's something in there that says, you know, you got to be upgraded. So I had to go into a Verizon store and get a new SIM and all that. So that was a kind of a pain. Now, I, I hate to tell you, uh, Mike, that uh, Morocco is not an eSIM, does not have an eSIM carrier. So right. that's going to be the problem. Australia, Austria, yeah. the Czech Republic, Germany, Hungary, India, Japan, Poland, but by the way, not every carrier in these countries, Romania, Spain, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, and in the U.S., most carriers uh, support uh, eSIMs, but the quick transfer, eh, not quite so many, right? So just because they support it doesn't mean it'll be as easy to do, and then there are other activation systems. It's, look how this is kind of complicated. So, yeah, but 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 it's going in the right direction. So I, I think I, you know three, four, five years. This would be a this would just be a nothing burger yeah. of a of a yeah. of an issue, and uh, everybody will catch up. Morocco will have them. I, I think I think this is the way it's going to go, and it's great. I mean the the, the way I you know I, I've been using Google Five for a long time, and they're you know they they're all on regular sims. I don't know if an MVNO can use a a, a D sim or not. Probably can, but. Um, the great thing about Google Fi, especially now that they have unlimited, is like you, you just tell them, hey, send me five of them, and they send you five SIM cards. You put they're, one in your tablet. They're free. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's been pretty great. So for traveling, and, I love and, Fi. In fact, that's why I keep a Pixel yeah. 6 for traveling. Yeah. 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 We use it. I have a Pixel 3 of all things, yeah. which we use as a, a, a hotspot uh, in places where, you know, we have all these devices and don't necessarily have any other connection. It works great. Mint Mobile uh, is an MVNO, and they do support the eSIM, our sponsor I was just talking about. So I don't. I think MVNOs can. Right. Um, I mean, it's obviously up to them. They definitely yeah. can, yeah. yeah. I have a question about all of this because um, I, I've just been a, a Verizon customer for a 1,000 years because I'm lazy and I've never really switched. They just take more of my money every Verizon year. It's says, kind of impressive. thank you very much. I, I mean, I, I'm the idiot who had a Comcast... Um, a router in my apartment for eight years that I didn't realize I was paying like ten bucks a month for. So like I'm I'm not I, I'm not the smart customer here. But my question is about the move to eSIMs. And, and listening to the conversation, it seems like it's easier to generally speaking swap. So does this mean that Apple is setting a little bit of precedent to later on free us somewhat from our locked in carrier contracts? Or am I misreading or perhaps being too optimistic about what this change could there mean? There was long -term? some speculation that Apple might want to be there, just like Google does, have their own yeah. phone system. But, but I, to me, this, this move seemed to, to eliminate um, you know, the physical SIM. That's the bigger move than the eSIM part, because they already had an eSIM. They had both. Um, but the, the move to eliminate is kind of like how they eliminated you know, floppy disks and stuff like that. Everybody's Got like, whoa, it. wait, what are you doing? And you know, so you can't imagine a world without, uh, you know, uh, three and a half inch floppies. And Apple said, nope, uh, floppiness uh, is the is the future, floppylessness. And so we're just going to cut <laughs> them out. And that's what this is really all about. They're, they're shocking the industry with this thing saying, no more SIM cards. We're done. Yeah. It's yeah. over. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think there's still, though, because we're talking about the same, but then we we don't talk about the number, right? And so, yes, you can switch, but there's also number portability that come into play. And, and I, I don't know the carriers have said necessarily uh, what they're willing to do uh, going forward when it comes to eSIM. So in other words, yes, I can switch, but whether or not, you know, where I'm going is going to be able to give me the same number or if I have to pay something in order to take the number with me, as is the case today with most carriers. And floppy disks are not dead. <laughs> I, I might where add, you're this. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, sometimes technologies take a long time to die. Didn't Japan just change from a floppy disk based uh, document system? The government, I think. Yeah. And there was wow. a great Did article, which uh, I think we talked about on Twig. We spoke with the last person standing in the floppy disk business. This is from <laughs> iondesign.aiga.org. This guy, you, nobody makes floppies anymore. But this guy at floppydisk.com still sells them. He, you know, he buys them at auction. He buys them on eBay. Uh, he, he, he sells floppy disks. So uh, if you need floppies, uh, go to the floppy guy, floppydisk.com. <laughs> well, to, what's to put really hilarious in, in Japan, <laughs> I, I, you know, people imagine that the government is using them to store data to, I guess, to, to load programs or whatever people used to do with floppies. But th th what's, what's hilarious is that a lot of Japanese government agencies require people to submit documents on floppy disks. Yeah. Crazy, right? So they are like the, the Japanese equivalent of facts here in the U S yeah, we're, we're still yeah. stuck. They invented the facts. We're right. stuck with that too. <laughs> yep. That will never die. But I, I will say <laughs> in 2019, the U S nuclear arsenal stopped using floppy. Disks. Uh, that's a good and point. If the army, that's if the point. army can get off a of technology, we all can let's yeah. kill floppies. Let's yeah. kill faxes. Like, I, I mean, come on people. What, uh, what yeah. decade is this or really what millennium? This frankly. guy, this floppy guy, uh, the AIGA asked him, what's the most in demand? He says, the most in demand is a standard 1.44 megabyte, three and a half inch blank floppy disk. I would say the most valuable are currently the 720 kilobyte double density disks. And of course, there are specially eight inch disks for which there is a very small demand and of which we only have a small inventory. Apparently, 10 or 12 years ago, he says, I bought a couple of million disks and we've basically nice. <laughs> been living off that inventory ever since. <laughs> wow! Didn't Will Smith make a movie about this called The Pursuit of Happiness? Essentially, <laughs> hey, he's living. He's living large. He's living the life. I mean, Mr. Shout floppy out floppy disk. disk. Yeah, God I, bless him. I had I had a zip drive. My yeah. dad had a zip drive in his office. I thought that was the coolest thing. So it was like a hundred megabytes on a disk. And I was like, oh. yeah. Fancy. Now I upload like Fancy. gigabyte sound files for every podcast. Maybe that's accident. what Japan's like moving to uh, from the floppy is the zip disk. That would be appropriate. Yes. <laughs> it would be an upgrade of a sort, but you know, Dropbox is public now. I think we've all figured out how to do this without physical media. So it was the digital minister uh, of Japan who said, you know, it, they haven't stopped doing it. He said, we've got to stop doing it because this is crazy. There's still, according to Time Magazine, 1,900 government procedures in Japan that require a floppy disk. Uh, the uh, the uh, Japan's digital minister, hey, at least they have a, I don't think we have a digital minister, uh, 
unless it's that guy with the super church down in L.A., Taro Kono <laughs> said, we will be reviewing these practices swiftly. Where does one even buy a floppy disk these days? Well, I, we know now where one gets a floppy disk. Uh, crazy. All right. I want to take a little break. Uh, is it time? Yes, it is. Um, we have much more to talk about with our fabulous panel, but I don't want to keep them too late because, hey, it's Game of Thrones night. You know, we gotta we gotta have our priorities. So you 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 haven't watched that yet, Alex? I have I have watched an episode and a half. Um, but um, God, the video see, games me, that you mentioned that's a better that's the show to watch, not the Lord of the Rings, the game, the, the House have, of the Dragon. You have to pay attention in House of the Dragon. In Lord oh, of the Rings, yeah. I'm Lord like, of the Rings, ah, you look, don't. No. Little Hobbits. They're so, doing a thing. Look, okay. No. <laughs> so you've watched all of the Lord of the Rings? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I've watched four episodes, okay, I think. I think there's one I haven't seen yet. Okay. Okay. So the guy in the star, do you think that's Gandalf? So that's my hypothesis. That or it's Saruman. But I mean, it's, it's one no, of it's the wizards, obviously. We know because we're, oh, so you haven't gotten to the most recent episode where we meet Saruman. No. Oh, no, I haven't. That's when I, I, yeah. I had my COVID vaccine on Friday, spoiler. so yesterday I was, I was on the couch. <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. I don't Thanks, think that's Leo. a spoiler. Gosh. You know that Saruman's going to show up. Who's yeah. making so, all the orcs? Well, I mean, someone who doesn't Oh, no, like not beauty. Saruman. Sauron. Oh, maybe it oh, yeah. is Saruman. Oh. Yeah. Saruman was a white wizard. He, he was a, the original white wizard named it was Gandalf yeah. the Grey, who came right. back as Gandalf the White. Right. Yeah. I think uh, it's Gandalf because, remember, Gandalf has a soft spot in his heart for the hobbits. And oh, that, that's right. That might be why, right? That he, he also had a soft spot for the halfling's leaf, which I believe means that he's the next uh, Silicon yeah. Valley CEO by your earlier logic. He likes to smoke, <laughs> smoke the tobacco, as yes, they say. Our show... <laughs> Our show today, a little too much lore. Our show today brought to you by Blue Land. You want to do the right thing. I know you want to do the right thing. We do too. We're trying to eliminate single-use plastics in our house. We don't use, you know, plastic bags anymore. We use paper bags, all that stuff. But there is an area of, of single-use plastics that's really appalling. Did you know that an estimated 5 billion, with a B, plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. In COVID, we moved, didn't move away from the bar soap to the hand soap, but you use it up, you throw it away. Five billion thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most of what's being transported in those bottles is water, 90%. The active ingredient's only 10%. So here's a better way. Blue land. Blue land. We now do all our squirters, all our, our surface cleaners, our window cleaners, laundry detergent, dish detergent, everything from Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastics by reinventing home essentials that are good for you and good for the planet. You buy the what they call their lifetime bottles. They're beautiful forever bottles. Uh, for the hand soap, they're gla heavy glass so that you can squirt them and for the, uh, the, the you know surface cleaner and the window cleaner, it's light plastic, but they last forever. When you use them up, instead of you know throwing it away, they send you a little tablet. It's like a little fizzy tablet that you throw in there. You add your own water so they're not transporting all that water uselessly. Uh, and you've got a whole new bottle of this. It's so great. They smell great. They work great. And, 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 and Blue Land's innovative tablet refill solution takes one-tenth the space of a traditional bottle. So the shipping and all of that, it's much simpler. 
Fill it with warm water. Refills start at just a couple of bucks. I'm on a subscription plan, so I get the refills when I need them. Oh, 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 oh. One of the things you got to get is the toilet cleaner tablets. You throw it in, you go do some other stuff, and then your toilet's all clean. It's amazing. Those run out fast. They've got more in stock. I think Blue Land is a great idea. From cleaning sprays to hand soap to toilet cleaner to laundry, we use their laundry tablets, scent-free laundry tablets. Uh, so, you know, that we don't, no, no sensitivities, no allergies. A great, I recommend this. In fact, I did it for my daughter when she moved into her new apartment. Get the Clean Essentials Kit. It's a great housewarming gift. We got it to start. And I said, oh, oh, this would be good for Abby. Everything you need, you get Blue Land products in refreshing signature scents like Iris Agave, Fresh Lemon, Eucalyptus Mint. Uh, and they have seasonal scents. This is for the fall. They've got apple butter. Wouldn't you like to wash your hands in apple butter? Vanilla chai. That's actually a nice one. And maple pumpkin. <laughs> right now, you get 15% off your first order. You will feel good. It works. The only thing you have to get rid of now, the only thing you have to throw away now, is your notion that this these environmentally good products are not effective. They are very effective. And they are not pricey. You're going to save a lot of money because you just buy the tablets now, right? 15% off your first order. Get the whole kit. Get started at blueland.com slash twit. Get the I would say get the clean essentials kit so you have all of it. Blueland.com slash twit. We thank them so much for saving the planet and for supporting twit. And you can do the same for both by going to blueland.com slash twit. Thank you, Blueland. I really love this stuff. Uh, we use it everywhere. Uh, how was it, by the way, Carolina, at the uh, Steve Jobs Theater? Because they hadn't had a, a, a indoor in-person event since before COVID. Was it a little weird? It wasn't. Um, everybody had to be uh, vaccinated and uh, um, prove uh, a COVID uh, test, a negative COVID test, uh, before being admitted. So it felt. I think it felt weird for a second just because of the amount of people I was around and nobody, most people, I would say 90% of people were not wearing a mask. But it was so nice to see a lot of the people that I normally see I at events, yeah. um, especially having been away from California for a year now. It was just, uh, it was a bit like a family reunion. Um, so that was nice. And compared to, so I was there to, for WWDC as well. And that was a bit different because it was mostly U.S. press, whereas this time they had um, a lot of international press. So it was nice to see, you know, reporters from the U.K. and Italy uh, that I had not seen for for a while. So it, it was um, it was cool. a great Pretty cool. environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um. There will probably be another one. I don't know if you're going to fly out again, but uh, I, I think it's pretty good sources are saying that it's going to be an October event. They will have the iPad, a new iPad Pro, a new iPad regular, the iPad 10, I guess it'll be. They'll have new uh, M.2 computers. Yep. Unknown. If it'll be, I'm sure there'll be laptops, but it's unknown if they'll do an iMac. Pro maybe or a Mac Pro. We're waiting. They said they'd get a Mac Pro out this year, so all that's probably not too far off. Woo! 
Are you going to fly That's out my- again? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> we'll see. Probably. I, I think what is interesting is that they are clearly not moving away from the video production part of Good. the event. So, in, in essence, we were all sitting in the theater watching, watching TV. a movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, they, there's such a high production value. In, in what they put together, especially if you looked at the part about the um, the Apple Watch Ultra and, you know, talking to the different, you know, the climbers and, and the divers and everything else. There was a lot there. Um, the, the people that had been impacted by having a, a watch or an iPhone save their life in critical situations, you know, there, there was a lot there that they just cannot replicate just from being on stage. Uh, I, I I confess I bought an Ultra, even though I haven't climbed a rock <laughs> in a while. Uh, I probably can't run more than a couple of my, blocks without losing my, <laughs> my breath. And I certainly am not going underwater anytime soon. But it's a nice looking... Well, I even got the band that stretches over your wetsuit. <laughs> like Leo. I'm, like I'm going to be doing that. <laughs> Is this just an aspirational so, purchase? But uh, my point being, I bet you 90% of the sales of this watch are to people like me, right? You know, the, 100%. The truth is, yeah. The truth is what you're saying, Leo, is you don't need this watch. But my my uh, universal theory of all of this consumer electronics stuff is we don't need any of it. We don't We don't need a smartphone. We Hush your mouth. Hush your mouth. Feel, it makes us feel good. That's what Carolina was saying. It's an emotional so, purchase. Yes. Right. Yeah. All right. I'll take Apple's side on this one. This is a rare one for me. Um, my Apple Watch band <laughs> broke. Yes. And I do not have it because I need to buy a new one. And uh, I, I fidget with it too much. And so I, I break them every six months. It's just whatever. Um, I've been moving a lot less because I do not have the little oh, guilty yeah, yeah, red yeah. ring. And I'm definitely more so. It's, for me, I, I I respect Mike's perspective here, and I generally agree with him. But I, I will say, the lower tier of many of these gadgets brings base functionality that's very useful. You yeah. wouldn't catch me, no oh, offense, dead in a new Apple Watch Eight Pro Max Ultra HD, <laughs> whatever. I'm not into Windows Vista branding, but I, I will say that the base stuff is pretty nice. Well, and you would like to know uh, retroactively when you've ovulated. I think that's important. I mean, I've just after a couple of years of infertility. Stuff, it was <laughs> Actually, you that, that's, did. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a very good point. You've been doing all that, of that. It's, it's um, no joke. It's super useful. I yeah. thought it was really yeah. interesting and very uh, attuned to the political mood that Apple, when they started talking about the watch, talked about the watch for women it was the it was a I big segment well actually I, I i think they did one better Leo, because they said this is not about women issue this is a family issue and ah. and i so want people to really yes. talk about whether it is about having babies or talking about abortion as a family issue both ways right it's not just about us um I, I, you know, I and and I, I, I appreciated that. I don't know how many people picked up on it, but they, they made the point in the presentation. Yeah. Uh, my, so my, unfortunately, my, what they didn't tell us is, in order to do the retroactive ovulation, the cycle tracking, all that, you have to walk the watch to bed for five nights before it can measure your temperature, relative temperature, uh, and especially on the ultra, that is, that is not a uh, enticing prospect. Uh, it's actually super light. 
Okay. I don't know if you tried it in the store. No, I, I haven't tried it. No. It, yeah. it is very, very light. I have a very small wrist and I, I posted this, this video uh, on Instagram and, and TikTok because it does look a little bit big on my wrist. Uh, but I was very su- surprised how light it was. And I think that from a design perspective, you know, aside from the want to be Iron Man people um, or, or Iron Women people. There, There is a broader market um, that is for women that even if is large, and there are a lot of women actually that like bigger watches because they have a small wrist. And so that kind of compensates. It's a, it's a statement. It's a fashion statement. Yeah. It, it's the, and the wrist, the, the watch is more comfortable to wear while you're sleeping than it is comfortable for the person you're sleeping with when you roll over Clock. and your wrist comes and clocks them in the face with a big piece of metal. Hey, but my sapphire so, crystal's fine, so uh, that's yes. all I care about. Uh, <laughs> it is weird that you, I mean, this is a limitation, and of course Apple's very good at these events of uh, promoting the excitement of it uh, and all the things it's going to do, but this is a limitation of measuring temperature on your wrist with a watch. It right. is, it's relative, it's not your actual temperature, and it needs a base that's going to require five nights at least of sleeping. It doesn't measure your temperature while you're awake for a variety of technical reasons. It can't, so it has to do it while you're asleep. Well, what's interesting is that the quantified self-movement and separately the smartwatch movement have been have skewed very, very male historically. Right. Um, but especially the quantified self-movement, it's, it's a bunch of uh, tend to be younger men who are into that sort of thing but this is this is a quantified self thing that is probably compelling for a lot of women who want to start families or just want to know what's happening with their with their menstrual cycles and so i thought it was really brilliant it was a brilliant way to combine new hardware with artificial intelligence and something that has a real world benefit but also has this really compelling like i want to know what's happening with my cycle like that like i think since the beginning of time uh women have wanted to know like when 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 is when am i fertile all that kind of stuff so it's i, I just think it's a stroke of absolute genius for them to open with that and really emphasize it and also back it up with a product that i mean we'll see how it actually works in real life but you know th- this is this is a major major um way to sort of broaden their market by uh you know, sort of like that's been dominated by men wanting to wear the smartwatches more than women and men wanting to do quantified self more than women. Now here you have a watch and a quantified self idea that's that's going to be really appealing to a lot of women. I, I, I believe it's really they're going to sell a lot of these based on that. I love what you said, Carolina, that it's not about women, it's about families. And actually, I would go even farther that Apple is really positioning itself as a company that cares about its users and and wants to protect its users with a crass detection with the with the cycle tracking and let's not forget that all of the period tracking apps that you get on your iphone and other devices a whole lot of them leak information about you information yep. uh, that could be hugely problematic in this post row world so apple without saying it at all is really very strongly creating this impression that we care about you and you can trust us, and we're not going to rat you out. So this is something you can use with us because it's safe. And uh, 
And they're really pushing that. And I think that's smart of them. They, they've doubled down on privacy over the last few years. Now, and, and Tim Cook's always said health is going to be a very big part of our business. It's, a, it's certainly a tentpole business for them. Now it's even more. It's like, this is the company that cares about you. I think I joked in the past about how, you know, Apple is basically safekeeping his base as we all age. Yes. <laughs> you know, we started out with. Yes. But it's going to get um, the youngsters too, the new youngsters. But, yeah. you know, if you have a, I was saying, if you have a teenager who is starting to, to drive and the iPhone is already the most popular phone in, you know, for Gen Zers, is a no-brainer that you want something that is not necessarily your insurance, you know, gizmo on your windshield that measures whether or not you're a safe driver or not. And then they, you know, increase your premium or whatever it is that they do with the data that they collect. Well, the bad cynical take is that they want to keep their customers alive and buying Apple products. <laughs> that was my point. Yeah, You know, phone uh, detection. They want to get to me before I... Before I die, I, I won't weigh in on whether it's I mean, it's clearly a marketing strategy. So I won't weigh in on whether it's, you know, legit. I don't know what their real intentions are. I mean, their only real job is to make money for their stakeholders. But it is certainly a good marketing position to say, hey, here's a company that's going to protect your privacy, going to protect you, cares about you and your health. That is a nice position to be in for any company. It's a position Google isn't in. Uh, Samsung yeah. is is not really effectively pr- promoting this. The the thing the the problem that I have with this Apple approach is that they were really big on privacy for a long time. They changed the way consumer privacy works with applications and tracking and so forth. And then after they had whacked everyone else's business, we're like, and by the way, new ad products yeah. from Apple. Yeah. And no. so here's the thing: an ad based business, if you are a platform company, will lead to constant product compromises down the yeah. road. Yeah. And so I'm very concerned that Apple, in a, in a search for growth, going back to the will the new iPhone sell better than the last one conversation, will have to essentially compromise its own. Principles when it comes to uh, generating ad well, revenues, which depend on data. Totally, totally legitimate. And that's why I'm saying I know it's a good marketing strategy, and I don't know what their real intent is because you're exactly right. And look what it's done to Google, frankly. Uh, it, it, Google went from don't be evil to let's be as evil as we possibly can. Uh, block ad trackers in Chrome. Uh, I mean, do, do everything they can to own the browser ecosystem and then make it impossible for people to protect their privacy in it while pretending to be private. And they took Google search, this like one of the best things humanity had ever made and turned it into a really low grade ad engine. Like if you yeah. use Google search on mobile, it's like ad, ad, ad. People it's also search for ad. Horrible. And then like 14 squirrels down, there's the Wikipedia page you wanted. How, how did they manage to become the thing that they were trying to kill? It's like ask Jeeves in 2022. It's ridiculous. Well, in fact, it was, wasn't it Larry Page who in the early days of Google said, well, you can't do ads because it'll corrupt you and and they did and he was right yes ads used to be on the right rail and they had results in the thing and then they were like what do we put the ads on top and then slowly made them look more like search results it's just well, they're it, doing, it's a constant they're doing something similar now too where uh they are basically this is how i this is how i frame their move to cut uh, Area 120, their their research arm, uh, yeah. basically in half. They're going to start doing. Yeah, that's gonna, a weird story. Well, th- this is basically 
if I if I'm understanding what they're doing and why, the whole point is, well, all these little unique, innovative things that we've come up with aren't making any money. So let's just double down on the stuff that is making us money today and the AI stuff that's going to make us bank in the future and all this stuff about experimenting and like uh, trying new things and throwing, there's no use for it. Here's the thing that people don't realize. I think Google has 175,000 employees or something like that. They have a ton of employees. Uh, They're currently down to under a hundred in area 120. Oh, wow. So, wow. so, so we're talking about a hundred people out of that many employees, out of all the billions that they make, and they want to cut that in half. That's how uncommitted they are now are to innovation. It's really kind of horrible. And it's, to me, it's, it's akin to this idea of transforming Google search into a, an ad delivery system uh, and doing it for the money, just going for the money. It seems to me that that's what they're backing off of innovation is. We know these areas, these limited areas where we can make a ton of money. Let's just do that because that's what we do. We make money. The uh, In the early days of Google, they were quite famously had the 20% time where you uh, are expected 20% of your time, one day out of the five a week, to work yep. on a passion project. That's what mm-hmm. that's what created Gmail. That's what created Maps. I mean, a lot of the best Google products came out of that. Area 120's model was we work on the 20% products 100% of the time. That's where 120 came from. And now it's, what, 60%, right? Because we're just going <laughs> to cut it in half. This right. week, Google, it, it's rumored, but I believe, uh, said we're not going to do a Pixel book. They asked uh, last month the Google hardware laptop division. Project Loon got sped, spun off, and now they're cutting 120, their R&D arm, in half. Is this uh, what happens to late-stage startups? I mean, is this kind of an inevitable part of the life cycle of a company? Ah, ah, this is a really good, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because as companies reach kind of a maturity point of growth with their initial product that wins them the market for Apple, it was Max, for Google, it was Search, now Alphabet, et cetera. um, They tend to have to dilute the consumer value proposition in that core business as a way to keep juicing growth, which is why on Google search on mobile, there's more and more ads before you get to results because they need to drive more revenue to keep their investors happy. And I I know that I'm a capitalist at heart and I cover the public markets and private markets for my job. But I wonder if a lot of companies wouldn't do better if they just stayed private and didn't have to sacrifice consumer value for shareholder value long term. Is Apple going through the same thing? Um, yeah. Bro, they just had a whole Apple event where they announced a new camera on their phone. Woo. Right. It's hard. Is it the innovator's dilemma? What is? I mean, Google makes so much money in search yep. that it stymies anything else, right? It, it funds, yep. Initially, it funded everything else. But then uh, Sundar Pichai and uh, uh, their CFO, uh, Ruth Porat, said, yeah, but we're not making much money on that other stuff, so let's just... You know, but they never. I think there's a big difference though between Google and Apple that that makes it hard to say they're going through the same thing. Is that you know Apple has been a hardware company at heart all the way, and Google has always been a software company. And and yes, Apple is doing more in services, and the revenue is moving more and more towards services, and they you know diversifying. They also are. Uh, you know, broadening their their product portfolio, and I never actually believed that 
Google was serious about hardware. Right. You know, the, the, the way that the, the made by Google team operates, it just doesn't fill me with confidence. That's that why Tony Fidel left. Area. Right? He, he Sorry? Said, that's why Tony Fidel left when they bought Nest. He said, this, yeah. It, and, and, it hurts on it. you know, if, if you're looking at how the, the Pixel team has come together, you know, it, it is, you know, kind of Motorola's that were an HTC right. kind of jammed together. I, you know, I'm not surprised that they, they're getting out of, of a tablet and a PC because, you know, the tablet market is pretty much Apple and a little bit of Samsung and, and Amazon, depending in the markets, right? And, uh, and and the PC market, although is going way better than it was before COVID, is still extremely competitive. And I just don't know that people are necessarily, you know, kind of creating lines waiting for a, a Google PC. I love uh, well, Rick Osterloh, who came over from Motorola, heads their hardware division. But these days, he feels like he's beaten down. Well, the problem, I think the problem is uh, you can't... Um, uh, underestimate the, the the influence of charismatic founders uh, and what they're in, interested in. Uh, you know, Google's founders, Larry and Sergey, were like Elon Musk is big thinkers. Let's do right. something gigantic. Right. Let's do, somebody come with an idea and they say, "Yeah, what the hell? Let's do that." And so Sundar Pichai is not that kind of guy, and he also is not the kind of guy who gives a rat's hiney about the consumer market. You see him slowly moving the ship of state toward enterprise, government contracts, that sort of thing, and away from consumer plays. You mentioned the, uh, you know, the, the cancellation of, of Loon. They, what they did with Loon, so Loon was originally, we were told, was going to bring the Internet to remote villages around the world by, by relaying it from balloon to balloon and, and bring it to a place where they, they didn't, wouldn't have the infrastructure on the ground. We could deliver it from the sky. This was the promise. It was utopian. It was a utopian idea to, to expand, eliminate the digital divide and expand the internet by, by bringing it to people in far flung areas. Well, now what they're doing with that, they realize that the most valuable technology they have is the technology that used lasers to transmit data from balloon to balloon. So now they have a new startup. They spun it out as a startup called Illyria. And what mm -hmm. this is going to do is it's going to, they promise that they have this hardware technology called Tightbeam and, and, they, and, and it's a, a software called Spacetime. And basically what they're going to do is they're going to have this laser-based uh, 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 data communications network for space, for, you know, underwater for all these places where you can't have physical infrastructure. And what that means, though, is that they're really going to go after mainly go government and military contracts. They're going to go after huge companies that are doing stuff in space. And so Isn't Microsoft basically doing the same thing. Yes, exactly. Microsoft is as in on the same long term trajectory where they just don't succeed with the consumer market. They don't want to play in that market. They love the it feels like they've lost interest contract. in Windows. Uh, but yeah. boy, they sure love those uh, military contracts. Yes, exactly. They they salvaged uh, their Hololens contract with the army. Uh, we thought that was a lost cause, <clears throat> but that's that's what they really love. They love to you know uh, get together with with like minded uh, business people, and then when they sell something, they sell three billion dollars worth instead of just trying to slug it out with the whole world in the in the world of consumer uh, uh, markets. Now Apple 
has a unique position in the sense that they, you know, the, the enterprise market and the consumer market is practically the same thing to Apple human beings yeah. using the devices. That's that's what the, the way they look at it. It's a really interesting perspective and it really works for Apple. But Google and Sundar Pichai leading Google uh, is is not, they're, they're, they're losing interest in, in the consumer market, I'm pretty sure. Although, yeah. I, I, admittedly, Apple was a hardware company, but I want to say was because a lot of what Apple's doing now is focused on services, is focused on I mean, that's they've understood they've saturated probably the market for hardware. And what they're trying to grow on is average revenue per user through services. Right. So I don't know if does that kind of software. I don't know what that counts as, but it ain't hardware. Well, services are essentially recurring revenue points. You sell sell the watch once every couple of years. You'll sell a phone every couple of years, but you get the monthly income every every month from those owners. That's good money. Yeah, and I think that if you're thinking about Apple One from a subscription perspective, it's not going to take long before in that Apple One you might have a hardware piece um, that you also, you know, whether it's the iPhone or something else that you're already um, subscribing to. You see that with the Apple Card, right? If you, I, you know, bought all my hardware on Apple Card and uh, I'm I paying monthly installments. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's... That's it. And they know that they got me for the first time ever. I'm paying off. For the first time ever, I'm hearing Apple Card advertisements on uh, podcasts. I don't know if it's Goldman Sachs buying those or Apple. It's got to be Apple, right? Uh, Yeah. You know, they've been slowly moving into financial services, but that's very lucrative. And, yeah, yeah, you know, I get 3% back on all my uh, purchases because I buy on the Apple Card. Yeah. in fact, but even Lisa though the says, stop it, because we want these are purchases we want to deduct. Stop buying it on your personal Apple Card. I said, but Lisa, I get three <laughs> <laughs> percent. But but oh, I, I do think that Apple sees the services, especially financial services, as gravy on top of their core competency. Well, it's where the growth things. is going to be. But it's where the growth is right. Gonna be, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But 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 they in order to make it really grow, they also have to grow the hardware and everything else. So they're basically in the content consumption uh, device and software and service business and the content creation device business. And that's why they're two of their big things coming up in the future, you know, uh, is, is augmented reality, which is a content, the mother of all content consumption uh, platforms, if you will, especially the ones that you're going to wear all day that look like ordinary glasses that are coming in a few years uh, and then there, the, the Apple car, the Apple, the, a self-driving car is the ultimate content consumption device, essentially. And they want to own on wheels. Well. Yeah. Yep. In fact, exactly. they've done a lot of tests to uh, to show what, you know, the screens would be like in the living room that you're riding around in in your Apple car. And there's that's nothing a, else to do. Forced attention. Exactly. Yeah. And it's quite telling as well. You're going to pay for it all with your Apple card. Yeah. No, no, I refuse. <laughs> we uh, we just we have finally had to get a new car recently, and I know this is a non sequitur, but kind of off Mike's point, like cars have gotten so good. We went from a manual transmission 2007 Volvo to like a relatively recent Outback, and this thing's like a spaceship. So I'm, yeah. I'm actually They're bring me tech. a self driving car. I'll take yeah. it. But like, I'm what we got They're now is pretty tech. good. What kind of dog is that? Everybody wants to know. Oh, I'm sorry. This is this is Magnolia. Um, she's she's our, our our newest rescue. Uh, the dogs have learned that they can push the door open in my office when I'm working Aww. and come play. 
And so they've been doing this throughout the show, and I've been trying to... Sh- we're recording, so I'm trying to shoot them out, but Maggie just wanted some snuggles. So uh, hold, hold with Magnolia up a little bit so we can... Is she a poodle mix? A little terrier she in is there? Shih Tzu, Silky Terrier, some Havanese. She's Aww, a rescue from Chicago. She's and she's my she's my light and joy in my office uh my office mate. So was she yeah. there when I visited or this is She new? was. She was. Okay. No, she, she we we've had her for about a year and a half now. Aww, um she she's what she's, my one of my French friends call a gorgie. She's a girl from an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that one. Um uh, I don't uh, uh, I'm not, in other words. Yes. Yeah. She, no, I, I got the subtext. Um, she is uh, she is a mix of, of many things, and she's 100% perfect. Although I do think we have a show title. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> she's a gorgy. All right. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a break because I'm embarrassed. Uh, and uh, when we come back, final few uh, stories, some, actually some of the biggest stories, one that's just breaking right now. This Week at Tech is brought to you by IT Pro. TV. I so many of you who listen to our shows are love technology, right? I mean, why would you listen to a technology podcast unless you cared about technology? And I have spoken to so many people who said, you know, I listen to the shows and I thought, I don't like my job. I should get, I should be getting IT because I love this stuff. Well, let me tell you where I send them: IT Pro TV. It's the best way to get the best possible IT training, whether it's for your first job, getting those certs you need to get that first job like the A-plus cert, or if you're in IT to accelerate your IT career, new, learn a new language, learn a new networking system, learn a new operating system, IT Pro TV makes it fun. They hire experts in the field. That's really important. That's job one. These people have to be working professionals in IT. But then... They also have to have a passion, a love for what they do. And that's what makes IT Pro TV's content so engaging, so fun. These are people who love what they do, and they communicate that passion to you in just the best possible way. They've got uh, seven studios working all day, Monday through Friday, to make new content because everything's constantly changing. So when I say they have a 5,800-hour library of IT training on demand, it's not always the same hours, right? There's new stuff all the time, new Operating systems, new new tests, new questions, certs change, but IT Pro TV is always up to date, more up to date than any other place you can go. And that's that commitment with those seven studios running Monday through Friday. All the uh, all the training episodes are in 20 to 30 minute chunks because they've learned that's that's pretty much your attention span. You could do it during lunch, during a break. You watch a, 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 an episode and you're learning, but then it doesn't stop there because they've got virtual labs. You can set up, for instance, a Windows server in your browser on a Chromebook. Set up a Windows server and Windows clients. And, and you know, if something goes wrong, you just close the tab and start over. They've got practice tests so you could take the exam before you take the exam. They help you get a job. Uh, they, they support you every step of the way. And you can watch wherever you want on your computer, tablet, Apple TV, Roku. It's easy to watch whenever you've got a moment. One reviewer said, it's easy to understand what they're saying. It's well explained. The classes are very smooth along with the notes and transcriptions. I forgot to mention that. You get complete transcriptions. By wrapping their own experience in with the course, it makes it easier to comprehend the hardest topics. They also make make sure you feel confident enough to pass the exams. That's awesome. 
Another reviewer said, best website to study IT and cybersecurity-related courses. I like the part where they make a few courses free for a weekend. In fact, they are doing that every month. Every month, IT Pro TV offers free webinars you can watch. You'll find them if you go to the website. There's, in fact, we're looking right through the list of them right now. Uh, you can watch all the past webinars on demand. And if you're around at the right time of the uh, month, you can, you can join them and ask questions too. IT Pro TV also has plans for teams. So if you have a business with an IT team, you know how important it is to keep them up on security and networking and all the skills. The best place for them to learn is also IT Pro TV. We've known these guys, Tim and Don, since they started this company uh, almost 10 years ago now, and they are so good. They're just the best in the business. Get 30% off when you sign up at itpro.tv slash twit. And use the code TWIT30, 30% off when you sign up at itpro.tv slash TWIT. If you use the offer code TWIT30, ITPROTV, build or expand your IT career and enjoy the journey. I think you're going to love ITPROTV and you're going to love your new job. I I hear from people all the time who say thank you uh, for ITPROTV. Hey, we, uh, we had a fun week this week on TWIT. I think Victor uh, has prepared a little movie for us. Watch. I got an alert yesterday oh, evening as yes. here at my desk. Was that your yeah, first you, quake? That was my first earthquake. Oh. It was a very mild quake, I must say. That's what's funny. Is people was like, that was nothing. And I'm thinking, dang, what does a bad one feel like? Previously <laughs> on Twit, Matt Break Weekly. The nothing, nothing says we wish we had named the notch so people call it something that isn't the notch, like calling this the dynamic island. Like they lost control of the narrative there and they're like, no, 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 it's an island, people, a dynamic island. This Week in Google. Matt Mullenweg is, uh, you all know, the founder of Automatic, co-founder of WordPress. You know, one of the things we did put a ton of effort to in Tumblr once we uh, bought it was cleaning it up. You know, there was a lot of hate speech on there. There was a lot of kids, you know, talking about self-harm or drugs or other things. And, like, you can't, um, you need to garden the space. You need to curate it. All about Android. After an Apple event, there is usually the Android reaction, right? Brace yourselves. We're going to see a lot of dynamic islands come into Android here in the coming months. Not, not jealous, just just saying. Not just jealous, saying, like, just, just saying. I'm not jealous. Just saying. Twit. I don't. I don't. I don't want that. I want. I want that. <laughs> October sixth, actually, the uh, Pixel Six event. Jason Howell, Ron Richards, and I will be uh, getting up early to watch that Google event coming out of Brooklyn on October sixth to see what the new Pixel Seven and the new uh, Pixel Watch are like. You know, I keep rooting for Google. I, I really like their hardware, um, so maybe maybe they'll they'll pull out something. Uh, wow, this story just breaking: uh, a uh, a uh, PC gamer is reporting that a user on the Grand Theft Auto forums has posted a three gigabyte file full of ninety videos of Grand Theft Auto Six footage. The user is named Teapot Uber Hacker. <laughs> claims to be behind the Uber hack last week, which was a complete social engineering hack and just shows how vulnerable every company is. They, you know, they tricked an Uber employee into giving him access. Uh, it just keeps happening, right? It's almost impossible to stop. 
they had two factor. It didn't matter. They just uh, they I probably said, hey, yeah, we're from the IT department. We're just checking this login. Can you log in for us? Okay, good. That looks good. What's the code that uh, they just sent you? Okay, all right. That looks all right. We're we're good. And now they've got full access, right? Uh, I don't know if that's the same technique they use to uh, hack Grand Theft Auto 6, but this has been a long-awaited uh, game. Uh, and apparently, uh, according to a Bloomberg reporter, the leak is real. He, uh, Jason Schreier confirmed it through sources at Rockstar. They're being posted to YouTube, Twitter, Reddit, online gaming forums. Um, I, I'm, I don't know. You look like you might be a GTA player, Alex. I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, I, I have historically played GTA games going back to the era in which they were actually top-down 2D, uh, but not wow. in a very long time. What's interesting is how this sort of leak you might think would be always well-received amongst gamers, but it's actually not. So there's a game coming out called Victoria 3, which is a grand strategy political sim, essentially. And um, it comes out in a couple of weeks, and I've been looking forward to it, so I've been tracking the news. And a build of it leaked a couple months back, and the community behind the gaming company and also the game itself were a little peevish about it because the developers were kind of bummed because it was an older build and it didn't show off what they had built, and they didn't want people to get the wrong impression of what the game's going to be. And so you would think these leaks are slam dunks for the communities, but they're a little bit more complex than that. Uh, but in the case of GTA 6, a game that has been in under production for apparently 700 years, uh, there's a lot of pent-up demand. So I'm not entirely shocked that something finally broke. If it is the same hacker from the Uber hack, um, that's embarrassing for tech It's embarrassing. It's actually, uh, Rockstar gets hacked pretty routinely. Uh, <laughs> GTA 6 is reportedly at least two years away, according to The Verge. Uh, I'm sure Rockstar is bummed because it's uh, early, unfinished development builds, testing. Uh, yeah, this is never good for a game company. And I have to say, embarrassing, yes, but also, you guys, we got to get this social engineering under control. You got to train your employees to be more skeptical. I wonder if it's possible, and I'm curious what Mike and, Christ, uh, and, and Carolina think about this, because it, it seems to be not an issue that we've solved, as long as we're using no, two-factor. Well, that you, is, if it there's can no solving two, human nature. It's human nature, yeah. <laughs> it's human nature. What you, need is, what you need is a wholesale embrace of zero-trust architecture everywhere. And um, and this, this, is, this, is, this, is, this will get us in the, in the ballpark of not having um, Chinese spies working at Twitter, not having uh, everything being leaked, not having everything being compromised all the time through social engineering, because people will always uh, be people. They, you know, and and we're we're on the brink of a totally believable um, uh, deep fake video that is affected in real time. There are people who are applying for jobs and doing interviews, and they're they're using somebody else's face to do the video interview. Uh, deep fake audios, a big deal. So we we really have to. We can't rely on training, as you said. I mean, we need a lot more training, for sure, around cybersecurity. But we have to embrace zero trust as just a baseline. And um, even the federal government is finally uh, being forced through exe a Biden executive order to embrace zero trust. So zero trust has is, is, is got to be the new baseline at all these companies, or this kind of stuff is just going to be routine. I would also say physical uh, keys as opposed to... Uh, mm -hmm. phone or authenticator based because uh, two factor because even if somebody convinced me they were from the you know security division they wouldn't have this 
and there's no right. way I can give them this YubiKey. Uh, right. And so that would have stopped this cold. That's one way but, to do this. And it's a very effective. I mean, that, that, that's a that's a form of authentication that is is uh, very powerful. Um, but we need all kinds of different. We need to authenticate the users every time they access a resource. Zero trust is absolutely right. And force that. Authentication yes, absolutely. And strong. Authentication. So so we didn't really have time to talk about it. But the, the, the whole uh, all the congressional uh, gnashing of teeth and ripping of hair over TikTok is a yeah. bit of a, a, red, a red herring because basically this idea that because TikTok is a, is a, a Chinese company that the Chinese Communist Party or whatever will have access to it, that's, that mindset is a perimeter security mindset. They think, well, because they're over there and the, and, and, and the Communist Party is over there, they'll have access. Well, that, that's not how any of this stuff works anymore. There is no perimeter uh, for any company anywhere, which is why you need zero trust. And and, and so uh, this grandstanding members of Congress drives me nuts. Uh, yeah. It's pure xenophobia when Josh Hawley says, your company has a lot to hide. You're a walking security nightmare and completely ignores the fact that, you know, Facebook is leaking information like a sieve. Uh, I mean, I just just because it's a Chinese owned company is that's not the problem. Chinese spies will get will get get access to every social network yes. that they can, and in other words, all of them, and already compromising those companies. And the other the other worst bit of grandstanding is when they say, "Oh, how many Communist Party members do you have at your company?" Well, there, there's like I don't know, there's like a hundred million Chinese Communist Party members yep. in China. That's what you do if you want your kids to go to a good school and all that kind of stuff. So they know there are Chinese Communist Party members working at the at, at, at TikTok. It's just a, it's just a pandering Byte to the dance, ignorance. The owning, owning ownership. Yeah. yeah. So yes, sorry, that's yes, the distinction. That's the distinction that doesn't quite work for for American legislators. And, and to be clear, I'm not going to sit here and defend Josh Hawley in any capacity ever. But I, I will say that I, I don't think it's xenophobic to say that the government and economic rules that are set up in China are antithetical to the sort of transparency that we might want in terms of everything from auditing corporate financials, which has been a big sticking point between the U.S. and China for a long time, uh, to data privacy and security. And given the sheer quantity of state-sponsored hacking and so forth we've seen from the Chinese government, uh, to me, being skeptical uh, at a very minimum of claims regarding data privacy matters. And given the amount of U.S. data in play, it's... Yeah, go for it, Mike. There, but, there are three issues. One, one of them, one of them is, is gathering data, which is what they're obsessing about. Okay, they, they can gather data from any of the social networks. I, I don't think it's necessarily easier to do it from ByteDance than it is from Twitter. It's probably easier to harvest that data from Twitter. Well, and what kind of data uh, do you get from somebody who's posting exactly, videos? Um, or you know, videos the move, movement of troops, maybe something like that. The other, the other thing is the 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 oppression of pro democracy people around the world, uh, which the Chinese government is definitely interested yeah. in, in suppressing those people. And, and the third thing is propaganda. That's the real risk with TikTok. That's the main risk with TikTok if there was a conflict. So, for example, if a China invades Taiwan uh, or when they invade Taiwan, it, it seems like they really intend to do that at some point. And if the West uh, gets into a conflict over that issue, it's it's an almost it seems to me a no brainer that the Chinese government would reach their hands into ByteDance and say, you know what, we don't want any of this kind of stuff and we want lots more of that kind of stuff. And 
that that is a real that is a real reason to be concerned uh, about that. You can imagine if if ByteDance is a Russian company, what what Vladimir Putin would be making them uh, do around propaganda. Um, but 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 all this stuff about about uh, data. Pri- the, the thing they're focusing on most is the is the data privacy. And that's the least of any uh, that should be the least of their concern. Carolina, but the point that I don't understand um, and maybe I'm thinking about it the wrong way is you're I agree what you said, Mike. And, and in that case, you have a government that is asking you to do things. Um, but when you're looking at Facebook and Twitter and, you know, Western social uh, platforms, they might not have a government, but they have players that pay them, right, to put more of this and less of that on their network. So it seems like the government is using two different weights to assess and then, you know, punish or discipline or, you know, um, I guess, constraint this social media platforms. And for TikTok is because they're owned by a Chinese company. Well, it doesn't help to be an American company in the EU. Google has lost an appeal over illegal Android app bundling. 4.1 billion euro fine was reduced from 4.3 billion because uh, this goes back to 2018. Uh, The company imposed unlawful restrictions on Android phone manufacturers in order to promote its search engine on mobile devices. Things like saying if you are selling a... Uh, a Googleized version of Android. You can't sell the AOSP ungoogled version on others of your phones. You must pre-install Google Search and Chrome apps and the Play Store, things like that. Uh, that is enough to sting 4.1 billion euros, right? Yeah. Even for Google, I think, Carlina, that's enough money that they're going to sit up and go, dang. Dang. Ouch. Uh, well, again, we can't swear on Twitter, so I'm I'm trying to make this uh, <laughs> a little dang. more family friendly. Hot but I mean, they, have, they have tons of cash, but they they use it for things like shareholder returns. So to me, a 4.1 billion euro fine, um, now roughly 4.1 billion dollars, uh, is 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 material even for a company of that scale. Yeah, uh, Google uh, has to wait two months and ten days before it can appeal because this is on appeal. Uh, but there is one last appeal available in, in a couple of months, and that's to the highest court in the EU, the Court of Justice. I see no reason to think the Court of Justice will overturn this. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with it. Google uh, says, we're disappointed the court did not annul the decision in full. And and I, I do agree with this next sentence. Android has created more choice for everyone, not less, and supports thousands of successful businesses in Europe and around the world. I can't disagree with that. Uh isn't Google kind of being punished because they have an open source version of Android? Wouldn't, I mean, this, they wouldn't have, they'd avoid this if they didn't have AOSP, if they just said, well, no, it's, I mean, Apple doesn't get, Apple requires all sorts of stuff for people to, you know, to carriers to have an iPhone in their lineup. That's not illegal. I think it's because and their justification, right. Their justification, Apple's justification is because we we want to make sure that the user experience is a good experience, that it's secure, all that kind of stuff. The, 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 the thing that there are parts of this that make more sense than other parts. The, the part that makes the least sense to me is that, you know, I, I do think it should be fine for Google to say, okay, if you're going to use, if you're going to 
sell devices with our free open source version, then we're not going to license to you the, the, the Google version. Right. And, and this is, this is a point of contention. I think that's a reasonable thing for them to do for the same yes. reason you, you for pointed user out. Experience. I mean, yes. They're offering this free version. They're, they're enriching all these companies and getting nothing in return. And so I think that's, that's fairly reasonable, but they're also saying, okay, if you, if you do use the Google version, you have to have our search engine, you have to have all these things installed. And that this gets back to Microsoft and internet Explorer and all that kind of stuff. There we go. If they're, if they're going to punish Microsoft, for bundling Internet Explorer, maybe it's consistent to punish Google for bundling or forcing other companies to bundle their browsers. So yeah, but isn't I, Google I, I, offering searching. more opportunity and more choice than Apple is? Well, Absolutely. Is backwards. But Apple is now open sourcing their right. software. So Google's mistake was being good and open sourcing. No. No, 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 no. I think you're doing this backwards. You're saying Apple's not in trouble, therefore Google shouldn't be. I'm saying Google is in trouble, therefore Apple should be. Well, maybe. But but Google's <laughs> big mistake here, it seems to be, is is allowing Android open source. And the EU is saying, oh, you're requiring Android open source. Uh, if you're keeping people from using the fact that it even exists is a good thing, isn't it? We, there's no open source iOS. And as a result, the Apple's not in trouble. The the way so so the way uh, um, so we Americans tend to think of how American law uh, deals with antitrust. We see it as a competitive issue that harms consumers. Right. Whereas in Europe, they see antitrust as an anti-competitive thing that harms other companies, competitors. And so the so the 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 existence of open source and the subsid subsidy of that product, if you will by their non-open source version of Android is a bit anti-competitive uh, from, from the, from the European mindset, just the existing open source, because basically what they're doing is they're blocking other innovators from entering the market and having an inexpensive or free operating system. Uh, you know, mo most of the, most of the cheapest phones in the world use the open source version of sure. Android. Right. And, 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 and Google's kind of, it's a kind of a holding mechanism where, uh, you know, Google has this brand name. It has this, uh, you know, Android has this brand awareness in, in the global market. And then, then they have this free version out there preventing uh, new entrants in the market. So I can see that. But that, that's not even what they're doing here. They're basically just they just don't like the whole scenario, apparently. And they think that Google, if Google's going to have an open source thing, it, it should be available to all companies, including those that choose to use the non open source version of Android. So I don't know. It's it's. It's it's a it's an ugly ruling, and it's not really about it's not really about Europe uh, coming up with these ideas and then finding Google. It's Europe is like the U.S. in that sense. It's other American companies are complaining to Europe, and Europe's going eh, okay, all right, we'll go with the Microsoft point of view, whatever it is, or you know Apple's point of view, whoever's lobbying them, right? And so I don't know. It's I don't like I don't like this ruling. I don't like this fine. I think there are other areas of like search advertising and stuff where they have a stronger case. This just seems fairly arbitrary to me. So the state of Texas. <laughs> uh, has a law. Uh, that declared social media platforms with more than 50 million monthly average users. In other words, Twitter and Facebook uh, are common carriers <laughs> and as a result, they should not be allowed to decide who can post and who can't post. They shouldn't be allowed to 
deplatform conservative voices. That law, of course, uh, violates the First Amendment because government is supposedly not supposed to make any laws that abridge the freedom of speech, even of companies like Twitter. Uh, nevertheless, uh, so, you know, a number of companies sued in court. The Fifth Circuit Court, by the way, they, uh, they uh, in, their, in the initial uh, court ruling, the law was... Uh, uh, temporarily put on hold, right? Supreme Court said, well, let this, you guys work this out. Uh, they they said, okay, the law is blocked for now, but but uh, uh, the lawsuit has to play out. Now, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, in New Orleans has ruled in favor of the Texas law, saying, oh, no, that's fine. Yeah, what First Amendment, Schmerz Amendment. Uh, now, of course, it's going to have to go to the Supreme Court. No idea what the Supreme Court is going to do with this. This is very similar to the Florida law, uh, which allows... Which was ruled unconstitutional. Which was ruled unconstitutional by an appeals court. (laughs) So now you have two decisions by equal courts that are both going to go, I'm sure, go to the Supreme Court. uh, One for and one again. There's an inversion here that I find interesting. During the net neutrality debate, conservatives were trying to argue that these provider that uh, internet providers were not common carriers, and now social media companies, which have much stronger protections written in the Constitution, are now being forced to platform speech they don't want to. I I like to view it that way versus their deep platform. That's a better way to put it. Not amplify. You can't. And also, this is you have to publish this content. Yeah. This is also not about the censoring of conservatives. It's about the right of platforms to be able to police their own networks and what content is uploaded to it, which is a very important thing. Otherwise, they can't moderate, right? Right. Let's not fall prey to the Fox News framing of this and talk talk about how we're trying to save conservative speech. Conservatives are doing fine on Twitter. I follow a bunch of them because I keep my eyes open. But I'm I'm in awe of of the gumption of Texas and and the, the sheer... Uh, insanity of, quote, small government conservatives trying to use the government to force private corporations that they fought to enshrine as individuals in other Supreme Court rulings as being forced to platform speech they don't want to. It, it, it's a bizarro world of of right-wing bullshit. Oh, sorry. The law, it's like Humpty Dumpty. The law means what I want it to mean at any particular time. Right. These are just neo-fascists. These, yeah. these are not people it's that not care con- about anything other than power. It's, it's not internally consistent. It's not philosophically consistent. It's just, well, this is what I want. Uh, yes. make, make it so. It's uh, the Ron DeSantis approach to governance, which is terrifying. Unfortunately, we have a Supreme Court that is yeah. dominated by conservatives, so I'm not sure what's going to happen uh, when this goes to the Supreme Court. Yeah. You know what we have never had in the Supreme Court? An atheist. You know, though? That'd be nice. Versus yeah. having to be two-thirds Catholic. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Finally, all right, show of hands. How many of you turn on closed captioning when you're watching TV? The young guy, the old guy, and the two middle guys. <laughs> Everybody does. Very interesting article in the Wall Street Journal. It turns out 20-somethings are turning on closed captioning. I thought I turned it on because I couldn't hear. What did you just say? What are they talking about? But in fact... At this point, recent surveys suggest younger generations are, are using closed captioning more than the old folks, not because of hearing problems, but they just, they can't, otherwise they can't pay attention or something. Uh, they talked to a 23-year-old who said, I can't think of a time in the past couple of months or years that I haven't had subtitles or captions on. He doesn't have any hearing problems, but he says it helps him focus 
on what's happening on screen, even when I have the sound on. Yep. This is easy. Well, of- Guys, we all, we all have phones. We're on Twitter. We're watching Rings of Power or The Dragon Show, and I get distracted, so I look up. I can read much faster <laughs> than people can talk. So I can just grab a block of text, oh send a tweet. It's so yeah. you can multitask. It is. Yeah. And it, it I think also that's comes part of from... It. Yeah, I was going to say that for for Gen Zers, it's also about the fact that because we do so much on phones and a lot of times in in places where they shouldn't be doing anything on a phone, um, so the sound is off. Right. So it's interesting that the 20-year-old says even when um, the sound is on because in most cases it isn't. I do it for every content I produce for accessibility reasons. So It started, I think... I'm going to guess with Facebook in the news feed because companies like Tastemade and uh, all the companies that were doing, you know, these trying to make viral posts realize that people are, don't have their sound on by default when they're going through the news feed. So in order to capture their attention, they would put captions yep. on there. So you can see the video and you can see the caption. Maybe you'll turn the sound on, but it doesn't matter if you do. And then TikTok followed suit. Instagram automatically generates captions on uploaded videos unless you turn them off. Uh, Snapchat users can turn on auto-generated subtitles, uh, and and on, of course on their own snaps have auto-generated titles. And now both the Pixel phone, which was the first to do it a couple of years ago, and now thanks to iOS 16, in fact I just turned it on on my iOS 16, have automatic captioning on all videos. Uh, I have to say Google does a lot better job on the auto captioning than uh, iPhone Not 16. Surprised. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, it's. <laughs> I guess we're going to start having to put captions on all our podcasts too. People well, want there, there's there, there's another reason for this, in addition to all the reasons stated uh, already, which is that um, in recent uh, years, uh, sound design has gotten way more aggressive, and this has yeah. been pushed by Christopher Nolan uh, primarily, and then others following suit, where it's actually objectively. Dialogue is objectively less intelligible than it used to be. And um, there's there's a lot more content that we watch where people have uh, access, strong accents. So the combination of lots of other noise going on in the, in the, in the content uh, and people speaking in a way that's, you know, a, a much broader range of accents means that uh, there's, there's kind of like a, a, a sort of utilitarian reason put on captioning we just can't understand can't, can't. it's not just old folks like nobody to. can understand what's going on right um and but, also accents it's interesting and- though that it doesn't seem that although this is becoming more prevalent that um people are not actually investing i was complaining about this on twitter just a few weeks ago because my mom is visiting and um she's watching netflix in italian with subtitles in italian and although the Italian is, you know, is good, there's no correlation between what they say and what I can read. And it's not because it's wrong. It's just a totally different sentence um, because I, I don't think that, you know, content creators are investing enough to actually have good, um, you know, good, good subtitles and, and, uh, and, and things done properly, especially for those markets like Italy, where everything is dubbed. There was a great piece on a slash film uh, came out 
last year, I think they've just updated it. Here's why movie dialogue has gotten more difficult to understand. And they blame a bunch of things. Some some of it's because of people like Chris Nolan, uh, director of Tenet, Interstellar, and The Dark Knight Rises, who wants to sound more natural. Robert Altman started this, wants to have, hey, that's the way life is. Everybody's talking at the same time. Uh, it's also actors who, you know, uh, I think Marlon Brando started it, who mumble a little bit because they want it to be more realistic. And then, really, this is the third one, which is that the sound recordist, the person who's on the set, often isn't respected enough. The sound recordist should be able to say, hey, no one's going to be able to understand that dialogue. Uh, very often, the sound guy doesn't say that, they, or if he does, they say, no, we're moving on. So it, it is, a, uh, it is a, a, a big problem. And I think it is another reason why people are... Uh, this is an interesting one. I asked a sound recordist who called the radio show, and he talked about familiarity. He said, everybody kind of has heard this dialogue so many times, we all know what the person's saying. So we, director and sound guy may not even notice that you can't understand it because we've heard it so many times. We know what he's saying. And then, of course, there's the problem of uh, 5.1, 7.1, 1,000.1 mixing, which means you have to have a center channel to hear anything. I think it's just very interesting. I think it's going to be in years to come. Everything will have a, sa- a caption on it uh, all the time. And it's and it's not because of us old folks. Although I have to say, I leave the captions on. There's some shows like Succession where there's sotto voce dialogue. Mm-hmm. There's the main dialogue and then people are saying something in the background. And if you leave the captions on, they often transcribe the sotto voce dialogue. <laughs> so if there's yeah. something subtle behind the scenes, you can kind of catch it because you're reading it instead of... Uh, listening to it well the I struggle can. the struggle here is that if you have a, a partner who disagrees with you on the use of captions oh, goodness gracious uh, it engenders uh, a regular <laughs> conversation about if they should be on or not and i happen to have one of these spouses who does not appreciate them and she says that if you want to understand what they're saying stop looking at twitter on your phone and watch and i'm like oh she's but bold. honey she's bold i would not well, dare say that out loud I, I have a spouse that is a, 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 a brilliant and, and non-techie person, if that makes sense. She's not as digital. You mean she actually watches online. movies when they're on? Like <laughs> She will sit down and watch a movie. Crazy. That's it. How She'll just watch do a movie. That? How does somebody I, uh, my do My attention that? span is shot. Yeah. I have no idea. No, I know. We're no, ruined. Did, We're ruined. Did, this is yet another uh, uh, interesting development in the world of augmented reality glasses. So Google has translation glasses, but basically those are going to be capable of providing oh, closed captions for everything you the hear. The captions every will be in the glasses. Yes. That's, and that's so awesome. In, in Alex's case, he'll be able to, to, to have a closed captioning and his wife won't have to see it because they'll be in his glasses. But I think a lot of people are going to do this in real life. They're going to have, they all have the time. closed captioning on everything all the time. Who would have you know thought what? that? But you're absolutely right. That's going to drive more than anything AR. Yeah. So Google Glass, which we all had, it had yeah. a brief moment in, in the product world. I got to wear it once, and I did get to use the software that would like um, look at a sign in a different language, and it would like change it yeah. to your language. And yeah. that is still one of the very few magical moments for me in yeah. tech. And one of the other yes. ones was actually Hololens. The first time I used it at Microsoft's campus. And so, yeah. like Mike, I hope you're right because AR has blown my socks off several times, and few techs have managed to do that more than once. So I'm here for it. I wore I wore Google Glass when we were living in Florence uh, back when Google Glass was uh, happening. I wore it all over the place. The Italians do, weren't mostly had never heard of it, didn't know what it was, thought it had some sort of medical problem, and they just would look away politely. 
Um, but but I, I got a lot of photos and videos that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten. And I, I use that very same service called Magic Lens or something like that. Uh, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it's called. But yeah, you look at a sign and it would give you it would give you the sign in in English uh, in the same typeface. Yeah. Uh, it was it was incredible. You can it do that. Such with, a, you can do that with a phone now, of course. With a phone, yes. yeah. it's obvious mm-hmm. you're doing right. that with menus or with yes. signs. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, the, think, I the, look forward to that. That'll be nice in the glasses. Yeah. The Italians were right though, because he was suffering from the same disease that we all suffer from here on the show, which is acute nerdiness. And <laughs> uh, yeah, the only, there's uh, no uh, cure. Case of glass wholeness. There's no yeah. cure. <laughs> well, no, the the cure, Leo, or the way to diminish the symptoms is to get three percent back on your Apple card. Apparently, there. Yes, <laughs> that's solved it for me. Alex Wilhelm, great to see you. You're uh, good luck. I, we may not talk to you before uh, you are a father. But I'm mm, so happy not. for you, too. Um, and if we don't Can talk I- to you before then, congratulations, and we'll talk to you in six months. Thank you. I just want to throw in one little thing about my, my comment earlier. Uh, nothing against Catholics. Just think representation matters on the Supreme Court. That's all yeah. I was trying to say. Well, you know, it's really interesting, America. I don't You're know going what it's like out. in other countries, but uh, <laughs> if a candidate for, for office said, oh, I'm an atheist, uh, they probably wouldn't get elected, would they? I mean, uh, no president's ever dared to say that. They all at least pretend to be religious. Right. Yes. We know Donald yeah. Trump is not religious. I don't think he said from the <laughs> church in his life. But yeah. he sure pretended to be. Uh, yeah, effectively, too. Yeah. So I don't, think you can, I don't think you can get away with it yet in this country, even though, in theory, we're a secular nation. What's it like yeah. in Italy, Carolina? Can could you could you get elected the mayor of Milan if you uh, if you said ah, I don't believe in that stuff? Uh, n- no, I think everybody assumes that, and I understood Alex's comment as as a Catholic. I understood yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what you meant. I just want representation. Um, I agree. Yes. No, I I really don't think that that even is thought about in Italy. It's just such a you know the reasons why I I still think that. There's a crucifix in every classroom. Oh yes, yeah. we, we can't school. do that. We don't do that. Yeah. Interesting. So we have a lot in common with Italy, ladies and gentlemen. Alex, great to have you. Carolina Milanese, so wonderful to have you. Uh, I'm sorry Grazie for mispronouncing mille. your name the entire time, but at least I said sotto voce correctly, right? Sotto voce, <laughs> sotto voce. <laughs> uh, she's the founder of the Heart of Tech. What is the Heart of Tech? Is a consultancy company that helps uh, a tech company in particular in their ESG strategy. ESG is? Environment. Social. Social and governance. Governance. I believe in ESG, so I believe in the heart of tech. I think that's great. And, of course, uh, you're also an analyst, uh, and uh, your writings can be seen at Creative Strategies and on Twitter, Caro underscore Milan, Milanesi. Thank you, Carolina. So good to see Grazie you. Grazie a voi. Oh, yes. Grazie mille. Mike Elgin. Ciao, baby. He is, uh, <laughs> he is Mike's, Mike's list at substack.com. He is a gastronomad at gastronomad.net. He is about to embark on the Barcelona adventure and then on to Morocco. Wow. Are there, let me just look and see, are there any openings in uh, experiences coming up that we can, uh, we can get part, become part of? I don't, I don't know. 
We haven't done Mexico City in a few years. Where our next one is in May. So if you really want to see Mexico City, that's a great oh, one, May first, sixth. Yeah. And then we do the Prosecco Hills in Italy in late May, Provence in June, oh. and then so and so on. So I recommend everybody join us, check it out, shoot it's me so an email fun. if you have any questions. Yeah, yeah. so awesome. Thank you, Leo. Gastronomy. Hey, Leo, could, Kevin, can I do a quick shout out? Plug, plug, Kevin. Chatterbox is is a, a education revolution. Uh, go to hellochatterbox.com, and it's a smart speaker that kids build and teach, and it teaches them about AI and uh, all kinds of great uh, STEM sk- skills, great for schools, great for individuals, and I recommend this very, very highly uh, to everyone who, whether you're a child or not, even if you're an adult, you want to build your own smart speaker that's 100% private. Uh, Chatterbox is the way to go. And thank you for let me, letting me pitch that. Leo, I also want to shout out to my Alex, my granddaughter, Princess Squishy Face, who watches this show. Did, what? I don't know if you know that. No. She she knows it as Uncle Leo's TV show. <laughs> <laughs> and she gets to watch it when I'm on. So Hi, Princess hey, Squishy Face. Hi, Alex. Hi. <laughs> Kevin's daughter. I did a swear. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> That's all right. Uncle She's, Leo's she knows all TV the words. show. That's a good name for this. Uncle Leo's TV it. show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for that, Leo. And they have raspberry pies, which is good. So you can get your uh, chatterbox. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. And he's, he's selling to a lot of schools now. And good. it's just, uh, That's it's fantastic. a revolution. That's fantastic. Uh, great to see all three of you. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. We do Twit uh, Sunday afternoons, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. That's uh, uh, 2100 UTC if you want to watch us do it live, live.twit.tv. That's kind of the, the pre-show. We really get started more about 2.30 in the afternoon, about half an hour later. If you're watching live, why don't you chat with us uh, at our IRC channel? That's open to all, irc.twit.tv. There is a very exclusive channel you could also join. It's our Discord channel, and it's a lot of fun. It's part of our Club Twit. Club Twit is a, a way to get ad-free versions of all the shows. Uh, $7 a month is all it costs. You also get access to the Discord, which is full of great conversations about all sorts of things, plus shows we don't actually put out on the on the public feeds. So Stacy's Book Club, which is coming up uh, in a month. Uh, so the Untitled Linux Show which we do every Saturday afternoon, right after the Giz Fizz which, with Dick Bartolo, which you do every Saturday afternoon. We also uh, do the Hands-On Mac show with Micah Sargent, Hands-On Windows with Paul Therott. These are all shows subsidized by the club, available to club members, uh, either live or on the Twit Plus feed. If you're interested to know more, it is a big help for us. We are coming into uh, what I think might be a very difficult few months as uh, recession and inflation combine to hit our advertisers, so help us out. Uh, twit.tv slash club twit. Uh, I think seven bucks is pretty affordable. We do make it possible to get any individual show for just $2.99 a month. And of course, we'll always do the free shows because that's how we started and we want everybody to listen. We don't want it to be a, a barrier to participation. But uh, again, it helps us out a lot and, uh, and I think it will be very important in the next few months, if you know what I mean. Twit.tv slash Club Twit. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Here we are, episode 893. 
in an 18-year-long quest to understand what the hell is going on. Another twin <laughs> is in the this can. Bye-bye. Is amazing.